Jarvis, drop my needle. Hello, this is the hardcore legend Mick Foley, and if you are interested in listening to idiots, you came to the right place. Have a nice day. Woo! That's an attention getter. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. What we're dealing with here is a complete lack of respect for the law. Oh my God, he's an idiot. You know, of course, that you're out of your jurisdiction. Personally, I think you're an idiot. But that's the evidence in the car. But I was going into Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. Always like to keep my audience riveted. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, friends and fiends, and welcome to Free Range Idiocy, the podcast about everything. But it's mostly really just the stuff we like. If it hasn't been blindingly obvious, we're pretty big fans of Ronald D. Moore. Not only did the man cut his teeth working on three Star Trek shows, that'd be the next generation Deep Space Nine and Voyager, for those of you keeping score at home, but he also happens to be the mind behind our biggest binky, the 2004 reimagining of Battlestar Galactic. To say his screenwriting and producing credentials are in order would be on par with saying that the man they call Tim enjoys an occasional steak, or that Yankees fans are somewhat overbearing, which is why we're talking about his latest contribution to the bettering of all of our lives, the Apple TV Plus show for all mankind, or as I like to refer to it, the BSG sequel we all deserve but never got, as we go through the good, the bad, and the ugly. I am your Uncle Todd, and with me, as always, is the man who has studied alternate history history so in-depth and for so long that he no longer remembers if he's real or a figment of his own imagination. He has been my partner in EDC for over two decades, and he knows when it's time to bring the cat in. I give you the man they call Tim. Greetings and salutations, my friend. How are you? What do you hear, Tim? All I can think of is look at what the cat dragged in, but that's not what I'm supposed to say. <laughs> it's nothing but the rain. Nothing. Oh my gosh! Oh, that's gosh. it. That's it. You're fired. I'm calling in. I'm calling in Jimmy Dice now. That's it. Oh wait, he's probably drunk. Um, never mind. I, I, I thought you were going to say I'm going to call the admiral and report you because he'll give me a brisk talking to on that one. Oh yes, he would. Yeah. Oh, Ed, I apologize. Eddie would. Eddie would Nothing do. Would get rain, himself. Sir. Nothing yeah. but the rain. Grab your gun and bring in the cat. Then, so just is. to finish that out. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, <sighs> That's all right. I'll just deduct that from your uh, your royalties payment. <laughs> this is auspicious start to this uh, episode, sir. Yes. Well, how are you, sir? How is how is things going for the man they call Tim at at your palatial estate on the outskirts of Chicago? I am well. I am doing well. Living the dream and. Uh, uh, just you know, day by day, minute by minute, loving life. That's good. And you know, what? you know the reason why the man they call Tim is loving life is because he has folks coming in to to paint his palatial estate, as opposed mm-hmm. to me, some poor schmuck who's just doing it all himself and yes. living in a a world of rollers and paintbrushes and half empty paint cans <laughs> and you know, and hallucinating from the fumes. <laughs> Well, that's that's actually the best part, honestly. <laughs> that's why that's he does my, it. <laughs> that's my pleasure. Um, but yes, uh, that's good to hear. Good to hear. And uh, yes, sir. you know, yes, say sir. hello to Michael Jordan. I know that he's one of your neighbors in there in your gated community out there in Chicago land. I will do so. I, I believe I'll be celebrating with a steak afterwards as well. And of course, uh, you, you, know, you find bourbon. Is there anything uh, you don't celebrate with a steak? Anything? I, don't know. I did do some grilling yesterday. I got no, me, really? I did. I I, I got myself uh, 
couple of uh, hot Italian sausage links and a they, they have this patty they make. It's a bacon cheddar. Uh, so, so they have bacon and, and cheddar cheese all kind of mixed in the meat. And I uh, got me two, two of those patties and uh, had one. One of each uh, sausage Lincoln patty last night. Had another for lunch today, and uh, just you know, feeling good. Once again, the man's blood type is cream cheese, but for some reason, his doctor <laughs> keeps telling him this is good for you. So, hey, whatever you know, keep doing it. <laughs> whatever works, keep doing it. Whatever works. We'll process the fat, ladies and gentlemen. Pretty soon Tim's going to be doing this show from an iron lung. I don't know if that's a thing if you have cholesterol, but I'm sure that he's going to just say, you know what, I want a shiny new thing. Get me an iron lung! Absolutely. Oh, and and quick scooter update. I I did get the rear tire popped off. There is one uh, in transit. I will be installing it uh, and uh, hope to be back on the streets, zip-zipping around and actually uh, using this bad boy for some uh, uh, commute travel to the downtown Chicago area. In the meantime, he has uh, he has four ushers from Wrigley Field who are now out of work for the winter season, carrying him around in a litter like Cleopatra, carrying him That's back right. and forth. Unfortunately, those guys are now going to be completely unemployed when the scooter wheel comes in, so it's a Due little bit of a dip in the economy. Issues, I, don't, I, I couldn't get the grapes and the fruit for them to feed me while they were, you know, Oh, you wouldn't there, eat them so. anyways. You'd be like, ah, bring me, bring me some teriyaki steak, steak That's tips. Pretty, Give me some steak yes. tips. That's pretty much what it would be. Oh my gosh! All right. Well, enough about the uh, the eating habits and transportation uh, uh, problems of the man they call Tim. We are going to get right into the show here because we've got some stuff to talk about. We have uh, both now completely caught up on For All Mankind and I'm going to take a little credit for this because I'm the one who kind of hipped uh, Tim to this show. Uh, However, we need to address the news, ladies and gentlemen. We are not necessarily timely. We are not even necessarily coherent. But you know what? We still try and keep up on what's going on in the world in a little thing we call The Week in Geek. The Week in Geek. so funky what do you got for us this episode sir uh well leading off sir uh and and this is actually a first for the weekend geek believe it or not because uh, really usually we will refer to trailers on youtube we will uh you know uh, dip into our our rumor mongers at screen rand maybe giant freaking robot but here mm-hmm. ladies and gentlemen we're we we are if nothing else thorough and uh, today, uh, or actually last night, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson on Twitter uh, posted a couple of blurbs, which Wait we a minute, we're actually we... citing like a legit, like we're, we're citing legit smart people on this show now? We are. We're going to completely go off brand here. Wait a minute. This is, is this allowed? Well, not, not when you understand what he was t- tweeting about, though. Okay, because proceed, sir. He was tweeting proceed. about friend of the show, and uh, I believe- most downloaded episode uh, for Free Range Idiocy. Ah, yes. Uh, our Top Gun 2 review uh, with Mr. Tom Cruise, a.k.a. Xenu himself. Awesome. Um, so we're gonna we're working in the Tom Cruise content early in the show. I like it. We are. We I are. like it. We, we are getting a little Tom Cruise early in the show, but uh, basically... Uh, in the, in the words of the Doc Holliday then, proceed, sir. <laughs> proceed. 
Uh, but Neil deGrasse Tyson uh, starts this texting uh, or, or this tweeting chain this way. He says, late to the party here, but in this year's Top Gun movie, Tom Cruise's character Maverick ejects from a hypersonic plane at Mach 10.5 before it crashed. He survived with no injuries. At that airspeed, his body would splatter like a chainmail gloves swatting a worm. Just saying. <laughs> What a he then visual. goes on to say, hold, hold on, I gotta read this one. He then he then follows it up with when Maverick ejected, like he did like three or four tweets on this. So clearly the man had 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 some something some something was bothering him. This was a, a nit that he needed to uh, address. And he, he writes, when Maverick ejected at Mach 105, he was going seven thousand miles per hour, giving him four hundred mil- million joules of kinetic energy, the explosive power of a hundred kilograms of TNT, a situation that human physiology is not designed to survive so no maverick does not walk away from this he be dead very dead <laughs> man you got to admit when that man has a knit he picks the living <laughs> snot out of it don't he he dropped the people's elbow on it jesus <laughs> louis here's the fact the factotum the theorem and the let yes i will show my work here you go oh Which, my gosh i mean yeah. I mean, but it's not like he was completely unharmed. He was very thirsty. Do you remember that? He was very, very thirsty afterwards. So, he, I mean, there was. was but, I, but I will say when, when we went to see the movie and he was, they were doing that part in the beginning where he's flying at, at Mach 10.5 and, and all of a sudden, you know, the, the plane explodes or whatever. And I'm just like, and then he walks in. I'm like, how on earth did he survive that? I mean, he was going, like, I didn't know all the facts that like he's, that, you know, Neil, Neil deGrasse Tyson is spewing here, but I knew he was going fast and I knew it was probably a situation that most human beings wouldn't survive without some sort of vehicle, you know, or, or structure around them. So, mm. uh, yeah, I, I, I did find that kind of interesting. Well, now here's, here's the thing the, there, there are, I and, and this is coming from a guy who used to geek out on military aircraft. So I actually, in some ways, I do know a little bit about some of this stuff. Not, I mean, I'm not trying to say I'm any kind of authority. Please, please, please. I mean, the show is called Free Range ADC, and if you've heard me talk, you know I'm not an authority on anything at all. Uh, but there are uh, there are aircraft that it instead of an ejection seat, as you see mm-hmm. in you know fighters and stuff like that it's like a capsule and so it's meant ah. to it's meant to uh sustain higher speeds and things like that you would think for a an aircraft traveling that fast that there would be some type of enhanced way to get the pilot out now i mean not always cuz famously back in the day ejection seats were kind of optional in test aircraft in fact chuck yeager when he flew faster than the speed of sound not only was there no ejection seat in the in his plane, the only way out was a door on the side of the aircraft where mm. if he had jumped out, he would have been cut in half by the wings, which were right in back of the door. So there was there was literally the only reason he had a parachute was basically it was a cushion for him to sit on. And there was no way of getting out. And then the follow-up yeah. plane for that, they actually just bolted him in. So it's like, you don't even have any way of getting out now. So good luck. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's not like it's unheard of for there not to be. However, at this point in this day and age, it's hard to believe that there wouldn't be some kind of escape mechanism for a pilot. That all being said, yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. Like, <laughs> But it, it I mean, also does it does a wonderful job of setting up the movie. Like, okay, if you buy oh, yeah. this, then you're going to buy everything else now. Because we're, totally yeah. we're totally going beyond the bounds 
of what you would believe, and then we're just going to start ripping off Star Wars. And you know what? If you bought into this fact that that Tom Cruise jumped out of a plane at ten and a half times the speed of sound and Mm -hmm. only got dehydrated instead of splattered uh, with like a chainmail glove hitting a worm, which oh my gosh, what an image! This guy needs. Well, it gets even better because he even breaks it down. Like like he even sent out a tweet where he was saying. Like at supersonic speeds, air cannot smoothly part. You must pierce it. So he says, mm-hmm. for this reason, the air on your body, if ejecting at these speeds, might as well be a brick wall. Yeah, yeah, because so, usually so pilots he, he, don't he eject d- Neil that was fast. watching Top Gun 2 over the weekend. Clearly, this this rubbed him the wrong way, and, and he had to lay the smack of the down with some facts, ladies and gentlemen, and bam. He put well, forth this is a, also the a guy, thesis of, of epic proportions on this one. This is also the guy who, who talked about the stars in Titanic being in the wrong being the wrong stars the wrong constellations <laughs> That's right. i forgot about that oh my gosh years and then when they re-released it he had he and he had talked to different people who knew james yep. cameron and then when it got re-released they're with the right stars so someone heard him and i'm like you know what this actually d- is not surprising whatsoever <laughs> not even a little bit nope nope but it is interesting nope. because and i told you before when we were te- kind of texting back and forth there was this weird fan theory that mm. essentially Maverick dies in that accident, and the rest of the right. dream, the rest of the movie, is his death dream, uh, and it's like kind of him being able to have one last hurrah and make amends, and everything ends happy and all of that. So, yeah, yep. th- it there is some credence to that now. It's like, hey, well, this might be it because hey, science. That's right. That's right. So it's yeah, nice that we I, have it's I, nice we have science like this back in in movies now. We have like real uh-huh. scientists interested in these movies back in back in our day when we were growing up. The only science we got was like weird science and it's like you you put a bunch of photos into a a scanner and somehow you get Kelly LeBrock, which quite honestly, you know, <laughs> It wounded my belief in humanity for years because I was like, it's all lies. Lies. Uh, We had had Star Wars and Star Trek as well, sir. So I know, but that really doesn't balance out when you're 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 a lonely teenager. I'm just saying. I know. I know. Anywho. Well, we thank uh, Mr. Degrassi Tyson for setting the record straight on on Maverick, and uh, we will uh, have to come up with some other content for Tom Cruise next time. I look forward to Tom's uh, response to that. I'm really. I almost feel like now I have to have a subsegment of like like the Weekend Geek needs to have a Tom Cruise subsegment of some kind now. Well, it, well I, it should. I mean, we need to get them sweet, sweet Xenu downloads. That's right. Well, uh, so I have something prepared as a second point, but I want to ask you, sir. Do you just want to jump down to number three since we're probably going to have a spirited debate and we can we can table the second point? Uh, if for another you time? want to, I'm I'm all for it. I am all for it, sir. Because I I I'd like us to do a a trailer real time, you know, commentary as we oh, watch it. Oh, okay. All right. And well, let, then me, let me grab get this into here. What will most assuredly be uh, the debate of 2022? Uh, is Picard season three going to be worth uh, the viewing or not? Uncle Todd is not keen on the show right now, but uh, I, I want to see if I can win him over. Okay. Well, I'd, I've just now pulled up the the YouTube's link that you sent me, and this will be in the show notes if you would like to watch along with us. Uh, this Actually, dropped back on the on October 8th, second. so it's a couple days old. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then again, this weekend I've been kind of Unplugged. I've I've tried to get away from 
social media and from my computer in general. So I was not aware of it until the man they call Tim sent this to me. You know what's really funny when you so okay when you get this pulled up. Yes, I have it. Up. And, and, okay, now I know, I know. Look all the way to the left of the of the of the of the picture, and there's those two people talking. Yes. If you looked quick, you can almost think that that's Wong. With, oh, I was going to say that, yeah. Like yeah. kind of dark robes. I'm like, oh my gosh, now we're getting a crossover here. Wong's everywhere. Yes. My good God. Yes, that would be great. That yes, would actually, indeed. you know what, then if that was the case, then I'm all in on this show. However, I'm pretty sure that's, I, I, I know that's not Wong. Yeah, because he's not singing Star karaoke. Trek and Marvel crossover, look out. That would actually be really cool. Dun, dun, dun. Um, it'll never happen, but I mean, it'd be cool. <laughs> All right, so we've got this queued up to all zeros. Uh, do you want to watch this, sir? I'm ready, sir. All right, let's count it down. Three, two, one, play. I'm playing. And once oh, again, Kirk Picard eating. Sitting at the local pub. Having himself a white a wine spritzer. Oh, wine spritzer. I said brewski, but that's all right. Maybe uh, a bourbon. I don't know. No, it's definitely got to be a wine. Man owns a vineyard. Dang, there's some messed up stuff going on in space right now. Isn't there always? Oh, there's Raffi. Raffi. Now, is that the Enterprise, I wonder? I don't know. It looks like it. Now, I got to say, this this ship, this is impressive. Kind of reminds yeah. me of the the ship from Nemesis, the Scimitar. See, I don't remember havoc. that. Let's oh slip gosh. the dogs of war. Of course, you do wharf in your old age. <laughs> I love that line. We're all gonna Riker. die. Oh my gosh. Must everything have galactic import? <laughs> uh-huh. That's what Raffi needs, a little smackdown for Morph. Yeah. So I believe that's LaForge's daughter. Or which is actually oh. uh Lavar Burton's daughter. Really? So oh, that's kinda yeah. cool. Wait a minute, I thought he was a pacifist. Why is he oh there goes the Federation building. What happened there? Yeah, that happens like every other movie now. Yeah, that's true. Now, that looks like a modernized Enterprise there. Well, Sleeker no, that was version. the, that, was the uh, that ship from the end of season one, remember? And there was oh, like a, a okay. thousand of them because they're just mass producing them now. Yep. Haha, <laughs> Moriarty. I love it. Hello, Mr. Bond. <laughs> oh, but we're not quite done yet. Of course not. It's not the final season quite yet. Oh, oh, oh. Data, you're old. Oh, wait a minute. That's not Data. Oh, they're bringing them all back. Bringing them all back. I love it. I love it. So. Oh, let the debate begin. Let's slip the dogs of war, my friend. Uh, okay, so for those of you who are wondering why Tim keeps repeating that, because he's not a Shakespearean expert, 
Of course, that's Amanda Plummer playing the the rando Rom- Romulan baddie here. And, of course, Christopher Plummer, her dad, played what's-his-face from Star Trek VI. Uh, I don't remember his, his name, but Admiral Captain of something. Either, but yeah, let me you look know. it up. Keep going. Probably, it probably sounds something like what my cat sounds like in the middle of the night when she's dealing with a particularly vile furball. So something <laughs> along those lines. Okay, uh, so Chang. His name was, I think, uh, General Chang. Oh, okay. Well, then never mind. It was actually, you know, much more normal than what I thought. Um, okay, here's the thing. Do you want to do you want to talk about it and say what what is exciting to you about this, or do you just want me to to start off on my little black hearted rant on this? I'll let um, you choose. Why don't you go first, and then I'll, I'll I'll try to swoop in with with some some hope and joy. Okay. So here's the thing. When I watched this and I kind of gave my little thoughts on this to the man they called Tim earlier today, he was like, have faith. I'm like, why would I have faith after having just sat through season two of Picard? And this one was shot back to back with it. So I'm pretty sure there's been it's not like there was a huge sea change and they reacted to people's you know, uh, acceptance or non-acceptance of, of season two. Like, it was bang, bang, and then we're done. So why would I have any faith that this is going to be much different than what happened to season two? That's my concern. I enjoyed season one of Picard. Um, and I, I don't want people to think, like, oh, he just hates it. No, I, I watched all of Next Generation when it was in first run. I watched a ton of it in reruns, watched all the movies, blah, 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 blah. My Star Trek credit is, is creds are there. My issue here is we are seeing the exact, exact fatal flaw from season two, and they're doing the same thing with season three. Which is why I'm not I'm I'm not even cautiously optimistic. I will watch this, but I got to be honest. Like I might give this one or two episodes and then just peace out. I don't know if I can go through another nine episodes of hate watching Picard. I don't know that I can do that to my soul. Is it it it, it just withers by the hour watching it. the The fatal flaw here is too many damn bad guys. Who is, I can tell you already what's going to happen, okay? Here's what's going to happen. Here's my bet. Go ahead and write this down if you want. What's going to happen is one of them is going to start off kind of as like a, oh, you know, which probably is Moriarty. Moriarty is probably going to be much more of the Q character, okay? And then you've got, you know, then all of a sudden he's going to disappear for vast swaths of time. And really not have a whole lot going on the entire time. Then you're going to have this other person, the the rando Romulan, uh, you know, Romu Plumber, and she's gonna she's gonna come in and she's gonna do all this stuff. But we don't know that much about her, and who knows how well the writing is gonna be, and and whether or not they're actually gonna pay a lot, you know, actually put in the character work for her because they really didn't in the in the previous season they really didn't put in the character work for any of the bad guys to really get you there they were relying on the fact like hey it's q you know q you love q see it's it's q like yeah but why the frack should i care like you forgot you got to give me that reason otherwise doesn't really matter so we're, we're gonna have moriarty okay fine then we have lore because 
as someone posted on YouTube as a comment, find you someone who loves you the way that Star Trek loves Brent Spiner. And you know what? I've, I'm. It's not like I hate on Brent Spiner. I love the man since he was in Night Court. Been a fan of him. But we don't need another Brent Spiner bad guy. I don't need that. Not even a little bit. Because they did such a crap job with him in the previous season. I don't need another Brent Spiner bad guy. Don't want it. Would I would be happy if they brought managed to somehow bring data back more than I am seeing lore. Because, again, now it's like, okay, even more confusion about who the bad guy is. Awesome. Because you're going to have three of them you're trying to juggle, and we've already seen that you suck at it. Because I can't imagine it's a whole new writing team and a whole new, like, maybe it is, but the previous team sucked at it and you hired those guys. I'm not sure that the new team is going to do much better at it. Or or like we talked about with DC, maybe the writing team was really trying and the studio notes were like, nope, you'll do this and this and this. And they're like, alrighty then, it's your money. I'm just saying one way or another, there's not a whole lot to trust here. And... I, I got to be quite honest, I am really, really getting sick of the entire universe is out to get Jean-Luc Picard. Like, more, it's what it's always about, attempts on your life. I know, and you know what? I'm friggin' sick of it! Give me something else! Good God! Like, it's like, it's like the most, it's almost like, it's like the most narcissistic view of, like, the, the universe ever, that is all, fo- everyone's out to get Jean-Luc Picard. Why? For God's sake, like, is he like the, the, is he like the one point in time between all these things that you gotta kill him and then the whole universe can blink out of existence and, uh, and that would be more interesting than whatever the crap this is, this is coming up with probably. But I'm just, I'm so sick of this. Like, it, it, it's, and I want to see the band back together. I want to see the crew back together. I'm, I'm like, oh, we got Crusher, we got Wharf, we got Jordy. This is going to be awesome. Then I'm like, and guess what? It's going to be the same crap as season two. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess you could say I'm not exactly, like, over the moon about this. May I rebut? Go right ahead. Or maybe not so much a rebuttal yet, but just more of my perspective, and then maybe there'll be a rebuttal in there. So Sure. I do understand the unevenness of season two and why that would rattle your faith. Okay. But as a, uh, much like you, as a longtime fan of, of Next Generation, the movies, um, you know, the original cast of Star Trek movies as well, I have faith that they are going to do right. This this is the send-off for for an iconic character in Jean-Luc Picard. And I I think season 2 became a victim of some of the the hype and the weight of of bringing back a character like Hugh and not really having a great idea of what to do with that character over the course of a season. Um, I The reason I have great faith in what they're going to do for season three really does come down to kind of the last half hour or I, I don't know the exact timestamps uh, a la uh, Jimmy Dice, but the entire interaction between Q and Picard 
uh, at the very end of the fin- of the final episode of season two, both in his chateau and also uh, as 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 Q basically dies, sending them you know back to their time. I think they know how to do justice by these characters. I think they did not have a great premise during season two to, to, to get there. I think there was a lot that was being asked of the audience to suspend in terms of the time travel aspect, in terms of what exactly is Q's role in all of this. Um, it, it, it was not clear. There probably could have been a better story told to basically draw a line of he enters back into Jean-Luc's life because he is about to die and deep down he has always had an affinity for the man and and as a human and what what he you know kind of the spirit he carries within himself that i think you know we saw in that kind of final moment where where picard knows you know that even though this is a supreme being that his greatest fear was to be left alone and and to die alone and so i thought that was that was a very poetic end for that character Going into season three now and, and what they're showing here for this this final journey is what excites me is the fact that we don't know who this villain is, at least the initial one, Amanda Plummer. We, we don't know the background. We know it's not a Borg, which is great. I mean, that that to me is already a great sign, because if, if it if it went to the Borg, then, you know, I would share in Uncle Todd's uh, Lewis Black-esque affinity for uh, what this season could be. Um, but there's promise there. Uh, there's promise in bringing Moriarty back. Um, I am not convinced that Moriarty is coming back as one of the villains. I am wondering if Picard uh, is, when we see Moriarty, um, is going to someone who, you know, kind of knew how to play a game and, and almost defeat Picard in in this this sort of fake world of, uh, um, you know, of 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 the uh, gosh, the name's escaping me. What was it? The holodeck holodeck thank you um so i'm i'm almost wondering if if the moriarty reference is more of a red herring than anything else in terms of being a villain um i think the lore tie-in um is interesting in and of itself in and of the fact that you know the last time we saw lore i thought he was being dismantled so we don't quite understand what's going on with that but it is poetic to note you know that when the next generation movie franchise came to an end with nemesis it ended with the death of data and i'm guessing that for this final season that picard may end up being the one who in in the same way that data gave his life for to save his crew that maybe we see picard come to his end to bring the end of lore and kind of bring the entire nunyan sung sort of circle to an end with with that so that's what I'm kind of thinking in my head about it. Um, I think a lot of the other shots and, and a lot of the other things we see in the trailer, um, you know, are, are certainly interesting. I'm, I'm really, in, you know, looking forward to seeing the, the cast, the old cast kind of interact and, and what that's, you know, all about. Um, and just kind of understanding the story. I, I, I think we're just headed into kind of uncharted waters. And so, uh, so I'm excited for it. I, I think it's going to be a a serviceable end and a nice kind of, you know, final chapter to a beloved group of people who started a series that I don't think anyone ever thought was going to amount to anything. 
and and turned into probably one of the most you know iconic and and you know emotionally connected sort of casts and series in the Star Trek franchise. It really kind of kicked everything off. You know, it's it's what led to Deep Space Nine. It's what led to uh, Enterprise and a lot of the other franchises that spawned off of it. And so. Um, so I, I, I see some poetic poeticness in what they're going to do. Now, to your point, your your concerns are grounded in in the data, which is they didn't execute a very strong season two, and could they screw up season three? Absolutely. But I have faith. I have faith that they're going to do right in this final season to send this character off appropriately and to do so in a way that that you know I don't mean to say it's fan service, but I think services. You know, in, in the same way that Q's end, I think really like like when you look at the comments on YouTube for 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 that final scene with Q, I I think a lot of fans really enjoyed it because it was everything they thought Q was supposed to be as a character. Like they always like I think we always kind of knew that character had an affinity for Picard, even though he always seemed like he was the antagonist. And he was just one of those, and, and we know people like that in our lives, you know, people that, you know, they, they, they challenge us and, and they, they sharpen us through the challenging that they do. And, and I think it was kind of the big payoff to see that deep down this character was probably one of Picard's biggest fans. And, and, you know, and I think that's what we as fans were, were you know, kind of hoping to see at one point. Um, so I, I really think they're going to do right by him. Um, and I think the introduction of, you know, these three different villains may not materialize the way you're thinking they, they, that it might. Um, that is my hope. Um, that is my, my belief, but, uh, I can always be wrong and proven wrong. So that is where I, uh, kind of come in on this. Okay. May I retort? Please. Okay. Well, first of all, <laughs> that's a seltzer that I wish I was a beer. I wish oh, was a boy. beer right now because I've realized I'm doing a show with an absolutely delusional human being. Um, okay. So you've obviously been brainwashed in some way uh, here by some sort of Roddenberry S cult. So allow me to try and deprogram a little bit. I cannot. Like, I, I, I understand where you're coming from. I just don't understand where you're getting that hope and optimism from what we saw in season two. You mentioned the last 30 or so minutes of the season finale. Mm-hmm. Granted, that was good. The problem being, the eight episodes and a half before that mm-hmm. did nothing to earn that moment q was such a tangential part of that story like he was the bookend which hey that you know what that's fine but not really when you're dealing with a character like q like that's fine if you're you know i I mean for other characters perhaps for someone that you're is just a mess sort of thing or you know middling sort of baddie or whatever to use as a framing device okay fine but for q that's what you're gonna do no you didn't you didn't earn any of that like you're you're relying almost totally on the nostalgia and people bringing that emotion from from the character and what was done in the next generation series 
Sure. Which is which is fine. You, you're going to do that. You're going to pull those strings anyways. But it relied almost solely on that. It didn't it like they added almost nothing to that character's story in that nine episodes. And he disappeared for vast periods of time. I agree. So that's to me, that's why I look at it and go, well, they're going to do right by the character. Well, yeah, they tried to cinch it up at the end, but you had to sit through eight and a half episodes of like, really? What the hell is this? You know, like, and and just that's a thing. Like, Mm -hmm. I I have, I have, and again, like, we're not talking about like something that now is like, oh, well, they've had time to, they're going to fix it all. Like, these were shot back to back. So they had, they thought they had, like they didn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't like, oh, well, we got to get this out the door. Oops. They thought they had that. Yeah. Like this is not some Joe Schmo operation, like, like a YouTube series or something like this is money being put into this. This is a lot of money mm-hmm. and corporate decisions being made here. They thought they had a winner. They thought they had the winning horse. They had the the golden ticket. And they were really holding a spray-painted turd. And this was this was like conceived and written kind of all together. Mm-hmm. Like these were these were produced back to back. So therefore all of these scripts were like done at some point at least in in mm-hmm. that period. And I'm imagining they probably had this stuff done in order to get get you to that point and and be ready to shoot right after they finish that I, I mean i don't know how the production worked exactly but i'm guessing these were written and and all kind of conceived at a fairly the same time so why would this be any different in how they handled it and, and why would there be any fewer holes in this that's what i can't understand where you get that optimism from because well it's it's i i, I see no evidence for it i i well, I, I think, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm speculating when, when I say this. So, so first off, you make some fair points. You, you're pointing to the, the evidence and data of season two, which was um, what you just said, that there was a lot of inconsistency. It was uneven. Um, I, you know, looking back on season two, I feel like they tried to take or, or they cherry picked um plot devices such as time travel such as Mm -hmm. you know fish out of the water in a different time um you know i i don't know i mean i i can't imagine their well i'll say it this way i think their goal was to try to hit some of the same goals and notes that you know 1986's you know the voyage home hit which was wouldn't it be cute to see these serious star trek figures in a completely different time out of the out of their element and and so forth and yeah, it, was a, it was a total ripoff like almost in some ways yeah. like yeah like well, barely barely done updating. as a homage like like the whole thing on the bus where they see the guy with with the with the boom box and he you know politely turns it off instead of being a total schmuck well, um, yeah but there is so much of it was like it, it went beyond an homage and it was done so poorly that to me it's like nah it, this is just like copying like you're literally right. copying off the kid next to you during the test. <laughs> That's what it right. felt like. Well, yeah. So, so I, I understand what you're saying about the timing of it, where they filmed it, you know, it filmed them together 
or, or back to back and, and within close proximity of one another that the same quality might exist. You, you know, I, I can't sit here and say you're wrong. I mean, you, you could be right. Um, but I just feel like when you take things like time travel out of the story, when you take things like the Borg out of the story, um, and you start to plug in, um, I think a different villain and, and I think, you know, some undertones of past villains. Um, and, and like I said, I, I, I could be wrong in this, but I really feel like if this is the final season and it's not that they have to kill Picard off, but I feel like there, there is a poetry to Picard sacrificing himself for his friends to take down the, you know, the, the Jekyll or, or, or the darker half of, of what was his closest, you know, friend or, or, or being that he, he felt very close to, which was Data. And, and, you know, and, and if you took Data, you know, Data was Anakin and Lore is, is in some ways, you know, like, like the Vader side of him. He, he isn't Vader in the sense that he's a, you know, intimidating villain that was, you know, iconic and defining for Star Trek, but, but he was a villain nonetheless that, you know, was, was perpetrating and, and, and trying to, you know, cause a great deal of harm to humanity. And so, um, I just see the poetry there and, and, and I think they will do service to it. I, I think they, they got bogged down in trying to do too much homage, too much time, you know, too much with time travel, too much with the Borg, all in, in service of a story around Q's, you know, finality. They could have done a better job. Um, so could they screw this up? hundred percent. But like I said, I, I, you know, my, my, when I say faith, faith is what you, you cannot see or touch. So I am not basing this on data. I am basing this on the hope that the people who are working through this are going to do it, do the characters and do the story justice. And yeah, there is a bit of fan service to it because you want to pay off on these characters. And maybe when you take some of those variables out, then you can have a good story. Could the variables of of Moriarty lore and this unknown villain, you know, completely muck things up? There's always that opportunity. So I just feel like, you know, anyone can can have a bad run and there's always the opportunity to correct it. And I think with the TNG cast, I think they're going to do that. So that is where I stand on this. So. All right. Well. I, your I, points are I, well taken. I, I cannot say you're wrong because I understand where you're coming from. I felt I felt the things you were talking about. So, but I, I just I, had a more forgiving sense of it when I got to the end of it and felt like, okay, I can let go of everything I had an issue with because this payoff with him and Q was just, I just really enjoyed it. It was very emotionally satisfying for me as a fan and, and I felt... Okay, it was a rough season, but this was really cool to kind of get this moment. Yeah, well, I hope you're right on season three uh, because I, I hope for your sake I'm right on season three because I think you're going to blow a casket, uh, you know, a gasket if uh, you know. No, I end up I, in a casket. I will literally stop watching after two episodes. I, I think that's that is what I'm setting myself for because 
had I stopped with season two, I would have been, I probably would have been a, a much better person. As it is, I've probably <laughs> taken years off of my life watching that, that pony loaf of a season of Star Trek. You know what the uh, real measure is going to be? Is, what? Is, is the Rafi annoyance factor. The RAF, baby. Uh, because Rafi wasn't bad in season one. Actually, I, you know, like the character. I felt, I, I don't know who wrote Rafi for season two, but it, that was not the Rafi we saw in season one. Yeah, and that was that was a big problem. Is there? The, it felt like going from season one. It, it it felt like they almost tried to pull like a Transformers or you know the mm. movie thing where they were like, hey, we're gonna kill off or they didn't kill off characters, but they're like, hey, we're gonna introduce a whole bunch of new characters, so you're gonna be excited and yay! And then they they got to the end, they're like, oh, so you don't like some of these characters? Okay. Then they got to season two, and and those writers didn't know what to do with them, so they just they either killed them off, or just kind of put them to the side. Yeah, and, and that's what happened with, with half the characters. Like, well, I don't know what to do with this character. All right, well, just don't mention him in this episode. Well, yeah, that's yep. a main character, you know. Yep. And that's why yep. I just felt so lazy and 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 ratcheting up some. Yeah, like Rafi was totally annoying, and it was not. I like just kind of. I felt like they, they, I felt like they kind of shortchanged the trauma and the stuff that she was dealing with, and played it mm-hmm. very flat. And that to, yeah. that kind of ticked me off because it's like, that's not the world we live in now. That was like a right. very nineteen eighties, nineteen nineties sort of way of writing stuff, and just people just got over stuff. And that's not the way stuff is write it, written now because we kind of know, like, that's just not how stuff works. Like, even if you do, like, people just, oh, I just got over it. Well, no, you're probably going to be dealing with that. And the people around you are going to be dealing with it for years to come. Congratulations. Um, yep. And it felt like it was just kind of a lazy way of doing it. Now, the one thing I will say is I wonder, because another thing that bugged me about season two, it felt so cheap, so cheap. I don't know why, but I was like, did they get the, their budget drop precipitously for this this season? Because it just felt like everything was a very cheap set, and and part of the reason for the time travel was like, all right, well, we got to save budget, so we can't do a lot of stuff in space. We don't want to build a lot of sets, so stuff that we have on like on a, on a back lot or just buildings that we can get cheap, and that way, hey, no, we don't have to use a lot of special effects because it's it's happening now ish. So we can just kind of throw some trash on a street and do this and we'll dress it and it'll be fine. And it, it kind of what's going now will work. So we don't have to spend a ton of extra money. I wonder if if they're shooting these both back to back, they did that because they knew that they needed the big budget for season three. Mm. I wonder if it was one big pot that they were playing yeah. out of. And they're like, okay, well, we can only spend... We know we the story we want to tell for season three is this. And we got to figure out some way to do a story in season two that only spends 30% of our budget. Because 70% of it is going to be for season three. Yep. I just wonder about that. That's the only way that I could then go back and go, okay, well, fine, I guess. But even then, it's like you could have done a time travel story and it could have been a lot better... You just didn't do it. Yep. Yep. But I hope you're right on season three. I, I do because I, I do like Star Trek. I I've I I've loved do. Star Trek. And I know that's what do. that's part of the reason why I was I've I've uh trying to infuse some hope into you, sir. Well I've been more prickly about season two and of course season three now coming up because it I took it as a personal affront. All right. All right. Well 
Thank you, sir, for your points. It was a good debate. I feel good now. I have a sip of bourbon. And uh, that, my friends, is The Week in Geek. Well, thank you uh, for scouring the interwebs and finding something that would raise my blood pressure by at least uh, 30%. Appreciate that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And now on to the main subject for this episode. We are going to talk about For All Mankind. Now, (laughs) if you have not watched this show... I'm going to tell you right now, this Sacrilege. the rest of the show is going to be spoilerific. Okay, oh, so very much so. Listen at your own risk. However, this and you're not going to hear me say this very often. If you haven't watched this show, please don't listen to the rest of this. Go watch the show because mm-hmm. you want all of the surprises. You want oh, all yeah. of the twists. You want all of the reveals. You want all of it. If if Battlestar Galactica was even vaguely up your particular alley, I think you're going to like this because, again, it is a it is character driven, with a setting in, you know, alternate history. It, it, the same way that Battlestar Galactica, it was a it was a character driven drama that happened mm-hmm. to be set in space. And after watching know? it, come back and listen to this. Listen to yes. the wisdom coming from By the all mouths means. of Uncle Todd and myself. By all means, actually, you know what? Put on a pot of coffee, pause this, and just start binge watching. <laughs> Call into work for the rest of the week and just watch because you'll love it. Why aren't you it. coming in? I listened to these two chuckleheads and they told me not to. Yeah, you might not want to throw that out there because, I mean, that's a sure firing right there. That's a, oh, that's that's a, a paddling. paddling. <laughs> Yep, that is. So just oh, a warning dear. so you can't say, I didn't want to know, but we're going to be spoilerific because there's not really a way that you can talk about this show without getting into some of that. Like it, There's a lot of stuff that happens here, folks. Oh, uh, yeah. And what's really going to be interesting is the fact that as, as much as I enjoyed this show, Tim is, is much fresher to the scene here uh, because he has just binged all three seasons in the very in the last couple months here whereas i have it's been about a year and a half or yeah about a year that long didn't you just watch season three well no it's been like a year and a half of me watching the show because i started (gasps) watching it after season one was almost done or i I think it had just finished up then there was the break for season two and then i just finished up season three not that long ago so i mean Season three is kind of fresh in my head. Well, as fresh as anything in can be in my head. Um, season one and two are kind of in my far rear view mirror, and I did not have a chance, you know, because I've been moving and painting. To uh, sh- you know what, I should have had Tim pay for my painters, and that would have alleviated this whole problem. All right, taking care um, of it, man. Dang it! Well, maybe he'll just send me some deviled eggs. Um, yeah, so I I'm going to rely. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Um, anyways, so uh, the man they call Tim is really going to be the one who's going to kind of walk us through this because he's going to have a bit more insight for those earlier seasons. I'll try and chime in when the when you know like those those three brain cells in my in my skull like manage to like somehow collide and produce a thought. I'll chime in, but for the most part, sir, you have the con. All right. Well, I'm going to fly this thing right into an asteroid. No, I'm kidding. All Sweet! Right, so, 
so let's set the premise and and let let's at a high level just real quick cover kind of what what we like uh, about the series and then we're going to get into season one season two season three the good the bad and the ugly of each um premise of this show is that it is based in an alternate history where uh, america is not the first to land on the moon instead it is the russians Mm. and that is really what starts all of this off and and um I remember reading on uh, Wikipedia, uh, the source of all truth, that uh, uh, Ronald D. Moore was quoted as saying, um, he explained that uh, apparently there was a gentleman named Sergei Korolev, who was the father of the Soviet space program. Sergei? Sorry? Sergei, not uh, not Sergei. Oh, sorry. Sergei. (laughs) Um, And so in, in our history, our reality, he died. Uh, during an operation in Moscow in the mid 60s. And mm-hmm. after that point, their moon program, you know, never really took off. And so um, that is where he says our, our point of divergence um, is, is because that in their reality, Korolov lives. Now, he's not a character mm-hmm. in the in in the show near as I can tell, um, especially in season one, which, you know, starts in, in the 70s uh, or 1969, you know, through, I think, like 74 or 75. Um and so basically, uh, that is where this is all based in. Like the the Russian program remains strong, neck and neck with the American program, um, and and they end up landing on the moon first. And what what transpires across the series is a what if of what if the world's two biggest superpowers put forth innovation and resources and full you know kind of. Um, uh, support behind these programs to continue to go further and further into space, um, you know, with the moon and, and beyond that. And mm. so that's where we find ourselves as we enter into this. So I just to start off, just uh, at a high level across the seasons, what what has been, what, what are some things that, that Ronald D. Moore and company have done correctly that you really enjoy? Uh, and then we'll get into specifics about each of the seasons. I really enjoy how everything is is very logical. Like you can, I re, uh, so I I just recently rewatched the movie uh, Pacific Rim, which I'm not sure I can't remember. Have we talked about that movie on here before? Have you seen that one? Wait a minute, Pacific Rim isn't that the one with like the the the, the huge robots? Yeah, the kaiju and the and the Jaegers. So I, I trust me, I'll I'll loop this around. Okay. Trust me. So <laughs> curious where Uncle Todd's going on this one, folks. Holy! Crap. I was I was watching it and I was I started listening to the um, the commentary track with a uh, Guillermo del Toro, mm-hmm. and he was talking about how the movie is basically a love letter to monster movies and uh, and Mecca which were uh, okay. were very big parts of his youth growing up and that when he was when they were building the Jaegers when they were coming up with the idea and they were doing the effects and and doing the design he wanted everything to make sense he wanted there to be a logic to the engineering he wanted there to be detail he wanted it to so that you could see like oh this does this and this does this and the, and it just it makes sense and that gave it a, a certain amount of weight on the screen um that there was this there was this loving care and you could you could follow the logic of the engineering that went into these gigantic robots so that when you see them on the screen like they're moving in ways that you're like oh and the same with the monsters like they were they were making these monsters move in in different ways and 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 again it added 
it added this sort of weight. They actually you could believe that they were taking up space on in that scene. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. What I like about how Moore and company handled this is it's not just okay. This one thing happened. Now everything just goes crazy. Or like this one thing happens and, you know, the world is kind of the same as it turns out now, but these things have changed. Like, no, everything changed. Like, it's a butterfly effect. And you can see the logic of those changes. You can see the engineering that went into it. You can see that, oh, the order of presidents, the people who get elected presidents are different. The, the, the the way that the politics of the country changed, you know, this and that and the other and different different things are happening. Now some things are are kind of happening in the same way or slightly different or there it's a parallel track, but you can throughout the thing you can be like, oh, I can totally understand how this would how those changes would influence things in this direction. And it's not just self contained to NASA. It it covers everything. Like there is and there's little mentions of things that you don't need to go deep into the weeds on it, but you're like, oh, and this is affecting world events, and and everything is changed by this by this t- one t- you know this one kind of turn, which of you know of course goes back to like what you were saying the the, the guy who was really the driving force between behind that you know moon program now being alive, like oh now there's a chance that this could the Russians could actually uh, you know get get to the moon first. I really enjoyed that because it. Mm. For someone like me, who obviously, as you can tell with my thoughts on Picard season two, I, I enjoy getting into those details and I appreciate that that craft in the writing of throwing in enough information, like not inundating me with it, but appreciating the fact that I've probably got somewhat of a brain and I can figure stuff out if you just kind of give me tidbits here and I can put the pieces together and then spend your time really working on the characters and the story you're trying to tell. And, and the rest is just kind of like shading and window dressing. And it's like, oh, okay, I got enough of that. I get it. I really appreciate how all of that, even if, even if it goes a little bit overboard, I'm like, you know what? It's overboard, but you know what? I can trace that back and I can see how you got there. So I appreciate that. And I think that's, and, and also just the focus on the characters, which is, uh, you know, some, the reason why I kind of say it's the BSG sequel we deserve. Like the, BSG was all about the characters and you cared about them to the point of like I've said before you know D's suicide in season four mess me up in real life for days and that's a character on screen you know but completely just blew my mind and was just like oh my gosh I can't believe that happened you know because that character had just kind of become part of my life in this weird sort of way in that show and again does that with with this this collection of characters and another another very big cast and 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 not to take another quick swipe at Picard but I'm going to anyways cuz damn it it's fun they managed to do the thing that Picard didn't do they managed to gracefully balance a large cast and when if someone isn't there all the time in your face oops you there all right, now thanks to an interwebs hiccup, uh, we will proceed back on with what we were talking about, which I'm not exactly sure where I was, but I think it was somewhere along the lines of saying that uh, unlike Picard, they managed to bring characters in and out of the story gracefully, 
mm. and, and in a much more logical sense and kind of give them interesting things to do when they were there so that when they're when they're not there, it would... I, I don't know how to say this, but when you have people, characters do kind of interesting things when they're there, when they're not there, and then you have the other characters doing interesting things, you don't notice as much like, oh, where'd that person go? Yeah. Because at least when they show up, they're doing interesting stuff, which right. was always a thing with Picard. I didn't feel like they had Q doing anything really interesting when he'd show up. So then when he's gone, I'm just thinking like, they're totally wasting this guy. <laughs> Um, but I think that, I think that they've, they did a really good job just balancing this cast and, and, and fulfilling the logic of the situation. And how about you, sir? What were your kind of overarching thoughts? Um, so, I mean, similar to yours and, and one thing I want to touch on real quick that, that you said, I think is, is really at the heart of, and we talked about this last episode a little bit with, with like Iron Man and, and like with Christian Bale's Batman is the, the logic you know, like, like, mm. like when you said that, that perfectly, I think, summarized why I think Iron Man resonated the way that it did with, with the, the audience when they went to see it is because you, you could, and, and I think we use the term sometimes grounding, you know, as well mm-hmm. to go with that, where, like you said, there, there was a, a logic to the, the mechs that, that were in Pacific Rim, you know, like, like you, you could understand it, you could connect with it. Um, Mm -hmm. it didn't feel like something that was so far off, you know, the, the, the realm of reality, um, even though it is, you know, and, and even though there's definitely elements of Iron Man that were well off, you know, in, in, in terms of reality, but, but you could, you could connect with it. And, uh, so I, I agree with that point. I, I think, um, both in terms of the progression of both the American and Russian space programs. I think, um, you know, you, you alluded to the, the historical forking that happens, if you will, um, that I think was a brilliant, and, and it's really a, a catch it if, or, or you'll miss it sort of thing because it, it isn't something that's really hammered on across episodes. It, it's really touched on very briefly usually in the first episode of every season and um and and it's almost like it's it's become a thing where i have to like actually sit up and like be really paying close attention to catch detail you know i can rewind it and probably go through in slow-mo and 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 kind of figure out all the you know different details that they go into but 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 it's more kind of the big swipes you know the big things like like the thing i love out of season one uh well actually i i'll I'll save that for season one but um Yeah, save save some put keep but, something in the in the but back. But the fact there. that they go to that level of detail and the fact that certain actions based on what we see the characters doing actually influences events that are really outside the realm of of the story being told, I thought mm. was really well done and very intelligent and 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 a great way to almost build not legitimacy but just build that that grounding and that connection that that as an audience member i have with the story so Mm -hmm. so i think they've done a great job there um love the the investment made in all the characters and and the fact that and we'll get into this when we talk about the seasons but there are some things that drove me up the wall with some characters not because the characters (laughs) themselves were were being done a disservice through the writing but because that was the point of how they were written you know mm-hmm. what i mean like and and real quick i'll just say season 1 karen okay season mm-hmm. 1 karen a wife of an astronaut 
I cannot tell you how frustrated I was with her character, and I'll get into the details of what I was frustrated with, but there were things about her character that were driving me insane, but she was written that way for a reason. Mm -hmm. And you see the evolution of her character across the three seasons, which I think is a really... Uh, I don't want to say really interesting thing that they do, but 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 a positive because that that reflects humanity. I mean, we all evolve. Who I was as a twenty year old is not who I am as a forty seven year old man now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so showing that that growth and that evolution of of her covering, you know, going into topics like excuse me, like, you know, women's, you know, role in, in the space program or women's impact in the space program, race in the space program, mm-hmm. um, the way they deal with different situations, you know, the, 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 the way that, that the writers and producers and directors get you so invested in some characters, even as someone, uh, someone as, as, you know, simple as a season one character, like, um, let me just look his name up real quick. Uh, 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 Werner von Braun, who 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 mm. was the rocket engineer, and and how invested you are in his plight as as he goes through some things in season one, um, they just do like you said, they just do such a great job and such a service to all the characters. So you really do care about them, and you don't even realize you care about them until you start to see the plot unfolding in a particular direction for certain characters. And so, um, so no, I I think overall, I think they do a phenomenal job, um, you know, telling two or three, you know, kind of like storylines in a given episode and keeping it interesting, balancing it and, and making it relevant to the, the, you know, kind of longer term and and more general direction that, that the overall narrative is going in. So, um, and, and none of the leaps that they make in, in terms of the space aspect of it are, are, you know, completely, you know, not fathomable, you know, I mean, like, like you actually can see some of these things materializing and being what they are, um, had there been the attention given and resources allocated. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so I, I think it's, it's just, it's made it very kind of connected, you know, it's something you can engage in and be and feel connected with without making it feel like, you know, really far off. Um, you know, I, I think about was, was the Katie Sackoff show we watched another, was it called another world? Another, another life, world? another life. You know, one of the things that, that I think really set these two shows apart is the fact that in another life they really spent a lot of time and I understand why they did it because I've often thought about this in terms of just a science fiction story of you know what do characters go through when they're traveling through space you know like what what's happening in those moments when they're in between earth and mars or something like that this show doesn't deal with that you know they, they they're very economical in how they do their storytelling they focus their time and energy on things that really matter and they kind of set aside some of the lesser important, you know, even though it's interesting to think about having watched a show like another life, I'm like, I really don't need to see what's going on in between the trip from earth to Mars or earth to Mm -hmm. wherever they were going. You know, I'd rather just get into the things of where they end up and, you know, maybe a little bit of the in-between, you know, is, is reasonable, but not, you know, an entire season almost that's about, I'm going from point A to point B and everything that happens in between. So I, I think they've been very economical in their storytelling, which has made it very uh, enjoyable to watch. Yeah, and the, and it's a difference in show, and and not I'm not saying that it's difference in show because you know one is, I think one obviously has a a bit more of a budget than the other, 
Um, sure, sure. Which was one of the tough parts, you know, about another life is that you're like, okay, this is this is obviously not as big budgeted as some other shows. Um, but the difference really being that another life is a sci-fi show, kind of in the same vein as like Star Trek: The Next Generation was a sci-fi show. It's about the voyage. It's about the it's about the stuff that happens on the ship, whereas. Uh, uh, for all mankind is it's a character drama right. that happens to be set in a sci-fi slash alternate timeline setting. You know, it's it's is they're focused on different things, and when yeah. you're making decisions like character first, then you're going to say, okay, well, I need X, Y, and Z to show these characters to do this. So then you're going to say, yeah, well, I don't need to see what happens in the capsule. You know, between here and there, I don't need to see what happens here and there. You know, the the more sci-fi e, you know, things. Is there anything happening? No. Okay. Well, if I'm not going to get any character moments and it's not furthering the story, then I don't need to see it. You know what I mean? And yeah. And they they do, they've done a great job. They did a great job in all those seasons st- establishing a couple different places that they could hop in between and making them interesting. That's yeah. the key, like making it actually interesting of why you're going to go there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it just goes to show that it is really hard to do a show like this where you're hopping around with a with a, a, f- a somewhat bigger. Ca- I mean, actually, this is a fairly big cast. You have a lot. That's why to me, like this resonates very much in a BSG sort of way. Like you have a lot of main characters. You don't. you know, there's you can make a make a case of like, oh, well, here's the lead. Here's the lead. But. Not really. I mean, there's a a good six, you know, people in any given season who are really the leads. And then you have a bunch of other supporting characters who are like not even necessarily second tier. Like they're like kind of one A. Like they're still very important. And then below that you have even more characters. So it's difficult to do that and to juggle all of that and to make sure that you're not just losing track of people and going, oh, yeah, well, you know what? Let's just kill this person off, you know, because we don't know what to do with them or we're going to put them in a coma or, or whatever, right. you know, or, right. or like they did with a, like they did with a, oh, what's, I, I even remember the dude's name in Picard, the uh, Picard's little uh, uh, Romulan protege there. Oh, um, the one that Rafi was all worked up about. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. I, oh, that's right. Uh, Vulcan. I think he was a Vulcan. Vulcan? I thought he was Romulan. Maybe. I, Could, was I mean, either way. Whatever whatever his name was, it didn't matter. I don't matter remember his name, but I remember him, and I get what you're saying. Yeah. They did him dirty like in a, like in a uh, you know, a they triple threat match. Out. Well, kind of. They just, it's like they did like with the, like in a triple threat match where they just like wound him. Well, no, they killed him, but then of course he comes back. But like you, you just take him out because, well, we can't figure out how to tell a story with this many, so we got to get, drop him, you know? And they don't really do that. It, like the characters, if if a, you have a character death, or you have a character leave, or something like that, it it means something. Like they managed to actually make those things mean something. That's not that's not the usual way it works. Like there's a yeah. lot of bad shows out there. Yeah. <laughs> so I really appreciate it when you get something like this where you're like, wow, you're really good at this. Like really good. But yes, I I agree with your points. That would have been much All quicker right. for me to say. All right. <laughs> Well, uh, now that we've talked about the show uh, writ large, uh, do you want to get into season one? Oh, sure, sir. What are what is your uh, what are your good or bad and uglies, whichever whichever one you'd like to go with first? Um, 
And and you know I, I like this across all the seasons as I mentioned, but but I'll I'll hone in specifically on season one because there, there was a really interesting play on history that they did here. Um, when the Russians uh, in in episode one, when the Russians land on the moon, there mm-hmm. is a very specific call out to Ted Kennedy. Um, Yes. Having to leave uh, where he was in Chappaquiddick to come back to the White House in some sort of way of salvaging, um, you know, I think with, the way they kind of frame it is he he has to come back to D.C. to kind of salvage the space program from of, of what his, his brother had started, you know, John F. Kennedy. Mm-hmm. And by virtue of doing that, the the tragedy of Chappaquiddick then doesn't happen. He, he doesn't end up in an accident where the mistress that he's with is, is killed. Um, and so this opens the door uh, at the time Richard Nixon is the president he does not fall into disgrace with um, you know the the uh, scandals that, that he had to deal with instead he ends up pushing Nash basically pushing NASA and trying and, and throughout the season is really kind of a driver of a lot of things in fact one of the episodes is I think episode three is called Nixon's women where mm-hmm. he's looking to go tit for tat with the Russians where the Russians put a woman on in, on the moon now they want to put a woman on the moon as well um you know he's kind of driving stuff but but the fact that they kind of work things like that in where uh which ends up with ted kennedy becoming president from i believe 72 to 76 and then reagan ends up becoming president from 76 through 84 and so you have this complete shift from you know in history from what we're used to seeing that you know where nixon resigns and we have gerald ford and then we have jimmy carter and so on um and so but but because it's all hinged on this one event driving the politics of the day and some of the mm-hmm. politicians of the day to do different things from what our history, you know, what, what we're familiar with. So I, I thought that was really cool. Um, you know, I like the establishment of of all the main characters, you know, Ed Baldwin, uh, Gordo, his wife, Tracy, Ed's wife, Karen, uh, Margot. Uh, we talked about, um, gosh, what's his name again? Uh, the the rocket engineer, um, Werner von Braun. Werner von Braun is is a, a just a great character, um, you know, who who with a very dark past and and just kind of playing with that and and kind of the foreshadowing. You know, we don't know it at the time, but the foreshadowing in a way of how that plays out with his protege Margot and what she ends up doing across the three seasons. Not, you know, not that it's to the level of what he did in, in terms of being part of Nazi Germany, but there's an element, you know, I like, I, I'm curious your thoughts on this, but there's an element as we get it down into season three of the way she kind of helps the Russians a little bit, you know, and, mm-hmm. and how that plays into things. And now, you know, when things were very black and white for her with Werner and his involvement, now things of course are more gray for what she's trying to do, you know, cause it's all for the good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really liked it. I liked how they worked. Like I said, you know, the, the impact of women in space and how seeing Russians putting a women on the moon accelerates the Americans desire to do it. Um, I thought it was very telling in episode one that after the, the Russians land on the moon, they have this meeting of all the astronauts and uh, Deke is kind of like, um, you know, go, you know, just take the day off, be, be pissed off about it. But, you know, when, when, when you come back on Monday, we're, we're, we're back to work and all the astronauts just take off in these sports cars. And, and as I'm watching, I'm like, what a great 
kind of thematic thing to kind of show, okay, you guys just lost one of the biggest space races and there you go off in your cars doing what, you know, Americans do, right. You know, go do the fun, relaxing sort of stuff. So it kind of, you know, kind of, to me, set the, set the tone of in this history or timeline, you know, the, the, the Americans are a little more laid back and more, you know, into the fun and that sort of thing. And it it just kind of set them up as just not being as tuned into the, to the overall goal, where I think in our history, I think NASA was just in in a bit more of a focused place than, than where the Russians were. And so I thought that was kind of an interesting theme to play with, but then throughout, you know, I I like how they did. Oh, sorry. I would actually disagree one thing there because so after reading, um, Tom Wolfe's book, The Right Stuff. Ah, you yes. kind of get yep. a, you kind of get a little bit more background on just the re- I think the reason we see NASA as a bit more you know stringent and and into all of this and organized and it is because it, NASA was triumphant in that space race, whereas yeah. before yeah. really like we had a really big problem with rockets blowing up. Like we could not. As the United States, we could not get rockets to not blow up. There was a lot of of doubt about getting things to work, you know, properly. And of course, you know, with, with Russia being as secretive as it was, not really knowing where they were at, mm-hmm. and you know, of course, they were the first ones to launch a, a satellite. They launched Sputnik first. So, I mean, Russia really was on that track, and we were having a lot of troubles, and there was a lot of. You know, you were dealing with the the idea of the pilots, you know, wanting control, the engineers wanting it to be more like the pilots there for show and, you know, Mm -hmm. very much a passenger sort of thing. So there was a lot of tension there and there was a lot. So, I mean, it just I would just I would just kind of temper that view maybe a little bit with where we're looking at at that back through the lens of our history. To me, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think it it would be a different perception along this timeline. I think that was one of the cool things they did in, in the taking off and the branching off of this timeline. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fair. That's fair. Um, and then what else? Um, you know, loved what they did with the Jamestown, um, uh, you know, settlement that, that, that they do on, on, uh, what is it called? Shaker or Shackleton crater. Um, you know, with, with Gordo, Ed and, uh, what's her name? I'm forgetting her name now. Shoot. Uh, Ellen. Ellen. No, uh, no, it's not. It wasn't Ellen. It was yes. Danny. Yeah, yeah, Danny. Um, but but just, you know, showing some of the, you know, through Gordo, showing some of the psychological effects of being up there and and what it kind of does to them, um, you know, and, and, and just, you know, understanding just the toll that it takes, um, uh, you know, to the point of where it goes to the season finale where, you know, they, they kind of do this really, um, you know, kind of ad hoc sort of approach to getting um uh deke and uh what's her name um ellen uh you know to to be the crew that replaces them and that sort of thing and so um you know overall i think all those things are really well done um you know i think what also is well done is showing kind of the role of of some of the astronaut wives um you know and, and that plays into a lot of the stuff we see with ed and karen's son you know shane which ends up being a major plot point, you know, kind of toward the end of season one with, with his, mm. his death and, and the impact of that, um, you know, K- Karen and Ed come off as, as just probably the world's worst parents in the world, but. Oh know, yeah. They're not winning any awards for sure. No, no, no. but, but the, the thing that I was alluding to with Karen 
that, and it isn't a bad thing because I, like I said, I think it's effective storytelling is just as much as I was annoyed with her character, that was kind of the point because she is like this pressure cooker that is just ready to blow. Mm. And, you know, she's containing her emotions about her husband being on the moon for as long as he is. She's containing her emotions about her son acting out when he really isn't. Um, the, the 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 parenting was just really I mean that's kind of a nit of mine is just it, it seems almost too extreme but maybe it was done that way to make a point about them um, but but I do appreciate the fact that they were trying to show like what these wives were having to go through you know with with their husbands being you know going up into space and doing these things and and how that manifested itself and and then contrasting that with the women who are actually astronauts who are doing you know going into the program and and dealing with the risks and that sort of thing and just the the different attitude and perspective they had I thought was really cool so just overall I think they did a really great you know service to um you know, to, to the program overall and, 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 and just, you know, taking it in a direction that is fictional, but is, like I said, grounded in something you can connect with and, and thought it was, um, you know, thought it was a really great way to kind of then, you know, tag it into the, the, where the second season was going to go in the 1980s. Yeah, definitely. How about you, sir? What, what, what is the good that you, uh, or I, I don't know, do agree, disagree with any of the points or, or? No, I agree. I, I think the good for me is, especially with this season being kind of the uh, the major setup for the entire premise. I mean, there was a lot of heavy lifting that went on in the first few episodes here to really set the scene and be like, oh, whoa, this ain't your history faux show. Um, again, I just done very logically. I like how. Um, quite honestly, I like how there's probably there was probably a lot of people who were all pissed off about how, and I'm going to use my air quotes because the sarcasm is going to be so thick on this one. How woke the show was, um, much as much as how people are talking about how Star Trek is woke, uh, like really this is the time when you know women's liberation is happening civil rights are happening so yeah these were issues then you know it this was not like we're not retrofitting here this this was this was happening in the world at that time it might not have been happening specifically at nasa but through these machinations of an altered timeline like totally makes sense how this would start you know an influx of these issues into this you know very kind of rigid like hey it's a it's the boys club and then it isn't you know right. and right. and i think it, i i really appreciate how they they brought that in and how it, it's not done just for for giggles like it becomes like a legit part of the show like okay and this is just now the way the world goes it's not really harped on it's not really you know it, it just it then those things naturally progress and I, I really appreciate that and I thought it was a it was done very well and and the setup was done really well um, I I do like the fact that you know again from reading the right stuff like you kind of get like eh, NASA was was a little bit on the on the on the uh, the reckless not necessarily reckless I would say NASA was definitely taking chances because, of course, a lot of this stuff was being done for the first time. So, I mean, when you're you're doing it for the first time, there's always going to be, you know, you're you're making educated guesses in in some areas, and you're trying to do it as safely as possible. But you're also you have schedules, you have bosses, and all that. I like how the pressure 
that is caused by the Russians beating us to the moon takes NASA into a much more reckless position and how yeah. it, it becomes much more of like, okay, well, we got to do something. And it really starts this snowball of like now the U.S. is the underdog in this situation. And I really appreciated how that just wasn't played off in one episode. Like it continued throughout that season of, you know, taking chances and and really playing that up. I, again, in the same way that BSG, you know, didn't ignore things that happened previously. You know, the, the Galactica right. never got magically fixed. You know, they didn't, oh, hey, we found an old Cylon dock and we're going to gussy the old gal up. No, like from the first season all the way to the end, like every single pockmark from every single bomb and bullet that had hit that ship was still there. The characters had scars physically and emotionally. Um, and in that same way, these characters and, and, and what's happening, it carries through. Like, these things don't go away. It doesn't get played for one episode and then, oh, well, that's not an issue anymore. Like, no, these these characters, what happens to them carries through season after season after season. And I really appreciate that. Again, because not everyone does that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's nice to yeah. see it when it's done right. Right. Um, I really, I really enjoy the cast. I really enjoy the cast. I think they they've done a great job. Um, it just in some of these, in some of these, you know, I think it's funny playing the game of like going and looking at the at the IMDb, like the uh, not the glamour shot, but like you know the the professional eight by ten or whatever uh, that you would have for the actor. I'm sure from the uh, their agent or something being sent on an audition, and you see like you see that photo, and then you're like, oh wow totally different like oh my gosh this person is playing like yeah this whole i mean and, and actors do that well some actors do then there's some actors who basically they're just playing themselves they don't really change that much i really appreciate how this cast like the the way that they've they age the characters or how these characters are kind of playing against type or i just really appreciate the the cast did not have doesn't have a huge amount of star power but much like bsg is very evenly talented in a way that they work really well together and play off each other, and the the sum becomes greater than the parts. You know what I mean? I really yeah. appreciate that. Um, of course, you have um, uh, what's his name here, uh, Joel Kinnaman, who uh, kind of is the I guess you could say like the the lead for the show, um, or one of the you know the like half dozen leads of the show. Uh, he of uh, th- Suicide Squad, The Suicide Squad, uh, the RoboCop remake, a few other things that I've I've caught. Which actually, I I just re- I rewatched that RoboCop remake. Not nearly as horrible as I remembered it the first time. Um, mm-hmm. However, just not nothing I would really want to own. I'm glad it was for free on on some streaming service. Anyways, <laughs> uh, but yeah, and Ren Schmidt, uh, you know, Chris Marshall playing uh, Danny. Um, mm-hmm. Sarah Jones is Tracy Stevens, and uh, I know you're not a huge fan of Karen Baldwin's um, uh, parenting. However, uh, Chantal Van Santen does a terrific job. I, I, oh, she I does. actually, she does. I actually really appreciate how that character is almost like Ed is a is a, a lot lost without her, and in yeah. a way is is also yeah. somewhat scared of her. <laughs> 
Yeah. I do like how that came across a couple times in that in that show. Like it's like this, you know, the big tough te- test pilot and this and that and the other, and then like is totally scared of his wife. And so, when yeah. she like crosses that line, he's like, "Oh boy, I done messed up now." <laughs> Because now the top is coming off the pressure cooker, and we're all going to die. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love that moment. Because, you know, I think that is such a realistic thing. And I remember, I go back to things like, I I've, I was talking to my, my wife about this, uh, working when we worked in a warehouse. And mm-hmm. our, our, our manager for the warehouse was a very nice uh, lady, and but probably weighed like 115 pounds soaking wet. Mm-hmm. Not physically imposing at all, but we lived in sheer terror of this woman. Like there was just something oh, God, very authoritative yeah. Yeah. about it, and we just didn't want to disappoint her and all that. So it, it, it's to me, it's very realistic because everybody kind of has those people in their yeah. life that, oh, like, yeah. you might you might think you're really something, but then this person, a, a, another one that happens, like every car dealership, you've got the you know you've got like the manager and all these all these uh, all the salespeople who think they're all hot stuff but there is like one person working in the audi- in the in the office who runs the entire thing and everybody is terrified of them mm-hmm. because they can they could make their life a living hell so they like that person comes walking across the the showroom and everyone scatters like roaches when the lights come on it's it's hilarious to watch if you if you have no skin in the game um but i like that aspect of it uh you know uh ellen's character is great i mean all, all again just a very I felt like it was a very even cast. Like everybody has their place, and of course, that's also the writing and directing. But man, it, they just play so well together. Like they just work so well. Oh yeah, Deke of course too is great. I can't. What was his? Uh, who's the actor who plays him? He's not here on the front page. So sorry, Deke. Um, but no, um, all, uh, all of the all of the care. I just I, I just really appreciate the evenness of the cast in in that way. Like they everybody gets a little time to do their to get their business in. Um, yeah, and in, in season one, I think that's 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 not a little thing because it's it's really tough to do uh, character moments in an origin story because that's what you're kind of doing. Chris you know? Bauer, that's Deke. Chris Sleeper. Bauer, good old Deke. But yeah, um, and I'm, I'm just going to go right out. Uh, you might have these, but I don't. I don't really have any bad or any ugly. I got nothing. Maybe a little bit of that. Like yeah, the parenting is a little, a little bit overboard in just how bad it is. But I got—I really don't have much bad to say about it, you know. Yeah, the the yeah the season overall. I mean, there there's very little, you know, fat to it, and there's very little um, to say was bad. You know, I think I think everything had its place, like you said, everything had its purpose, and it was, you know, I think it was well done. I I think when when I put as a knit the parenting, it's it's just it feels so overboard. Like to the point of, you know, just put a sign up saying, you know, this is the heel, you know, sort of <laughs> like, like, like that's what I kind of felt like sometimes with it. It, it just felt like so just unnatural. You know what mm. I mean? Like I, 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 I and, you know, again, I, I know there are people who have gone through probably much, you know, worse sort of situations than probably what I grew up with. But, you know, I, I just I guess I just really 
have a hard time seeing people who are trying to, you know, put forth an idea that they're a family and that they're a happily married couple and turning into just these monsters when it came to their kid, you know, because that's really what they both were, you know, I mean, in, yeah. in, in, you know, not, not in a violent way, but just in a almost psychologically damaging way, you know, and, and, yeah. and the death of their son isn't, you know, due to a suicide or anything like that, but it was, you know, more, him trying to kind of do the things that he loves and them just being so kind of absorbed in their own worlds and in their own problems that they just lose sight of him. And there's just an accident, you know, that, that takes place. And, uh, but just some of it was just, you know, especially, and, and you see it kind of play out, I think in, in, I think it was in season three with, with Ed, but you know, the guilt that he kind of carries with, you know, his last interaction with his son being, that stern talking to and, and just, I'm very disappointed in you, you know, sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Like that's the last thing he says to his son mm -hmm. it, it is, is just gut wrenching, you know, but, but like I said, they do it in a way that it serves the point of the story and helps deepen the character. But there's just elements at times where you, you just feel like, man, this just feels out of the realm of reality, but sadly probably is. So yeah, I and I think part of that, the reason why they go over the top on that is because it's almost, um, they're trying to kind of do like in um, in Chernobyl. So the, the, the female scientist who um, is kind of the the pairing of um, Jared Harris's, I can't remember his name, uh, but that was not an actual person. Like she was, that character was an amalgam of all these different scientists and they kind of like, well, we can't, we can't do this by committee. It's it's a, you know, we only got so much screen time. So therefore, hey, we're going to create this character and you're going to be a stand-in for all these other characters. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Mm -hmm. And I feel like in in some ways, like, okay, here's the bad parents. Here is, you know, bad parenting in, in this way and here's the bad parenting uh, in Gordo and Tracy and, and we're going to show both sides of this and we're going to kind of go over the top because... They're the stand-in for all of the bad parents. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah. maybe that's part yeah. of the reason. So I, I kind of, not excuse it, I acknowledge the fact, yeah, it's kind of heavy-handed. It's, it's a real nitpick. I, I admit, it's a real nitpick. Yeah. All right, so I think that's season one, which represents really kind of late 60s, early uh, into the 70s. And then, of course, the interesting thing about this is uh, uh, Ron Moore loves him a time jump. Loves mm -hmm. him a time jump. I mean, mm -hmm. we saw what the one year one in uh, at New Caprica, and then of course the largest time jump in the uh, in the history of television, I think, <laughs> of, yep. of a couple hundred thousand years, uh, at in the season finale. Uh, but so then we jump from the seventies into the eighties with season two. Indeed. Right, I got that right. Okay, you, you, yeah, you did. And there, there was even kind of a a uh, you know post credit scene at the end of the season one finale, yeah. where they're playing. Uh, you know, what's kind of nice is that at the end of each season's finale, they start to play the music of the times of of the next decade. And so for the eighties, it was uh, Tears for Fears. Every everybody uh, wants to rule the world, which I think is a just just a great first of all, just a great song in and of itself, but also oh yeah you know, really a, a great anthem and, and indicative of kind of where things were going, you know, for, for season two. Um, 
as well as the image of like I don't know what you felt, but when they when you saw that Sea Dragon rocket take off, I mean that was like, oh yeah, that was like insanity. I'm like, man, they, you know, to to build something like that and and to see you know how far they've come technologically to to basically have a rocket hosted in the ocean take off front you know submerged is just insane mm. um but uh but very cool and then that kind of leads us into season two where uh they start to expand upon and and we start to see the same sort of regional you know kind of uh what do you want to call it? Like, like regional um, ter- or, or territorial is what I should call it between the, between America and Russia on the moon and, mm. and the, and the tension that builds across season two to the point where we start to see weapons appear on the moon and we start to see, Oh, we're going to have the shuttle and it's going to have a, you know, b- basically a uh, missile bank, you know, <laughs> it's just kind of mm-hmm. like, man, this is getting crazy. Cause it, it, it's almost like an amplification of everything happening, you know, kind of on the planet you know taking place in space now between america and russia and and with a real you know kind of ramping up of um of of just tensions between the two nations to the point of where there was like this really serious you know threat of of there being like a nuclear attack and so um so i think you know the 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 progression you know through to the uh you know what we see the characters doing and and you know how we see them 10 years later um was really well done i think you know karen kind of being more um you know completely breaking out of you know that that mold of the astronaut's wife and and clearly being her own person you know running the bar and all of that um and and you know running her own business and kind of doing her own thing you know kind of finding her way um you know, I thought it was interesting to see the toll it takes on the marriages and the family with, you know, Gordo and Tracy, you know, separating, but, you know, ultimately it kind of being a story about them coming back together and, and having, you know, probably what was, you know, I think to date still probably the most emotional part of the show was, was their, mm. their, their, their moonwalk to save everyone. Um, which, which resulted in, in ultimately their, their, their death in season two. And, and I thought it was just, just really, you know, a great arc for the characters. Gordo going from, you know, I mean, let's face it, BSG had fat Apollo. We had fat Gordo. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, Gordo <laughs> let himself go. Oh, my gosh. And, and Tracy glowed right up. I mean, oh, yeah, oh they were heading gosh. in such different directions. Oh, my oh. gosh. And the, oh, and the and hairstyle. Gordo does a mini, a, a mini Rocky training montage during the oh, season. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was missing everything but the music. Oh yeah, he was he was getting after it. Oh, it's fantastic. fantastic! And 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 you got to figure. I mean, it's even more impressive when you add in the weight of the mustache because that added a couple pounds. I mean, oh, right gosh. there, and he's running with that. That's like running with five pound weights on your on your legs. You really <laughs> should get more credit for that. But yeah, that was that was great. I I did appreciate like. You know, my good for season two really was, again, just kind of continuing out that that idea of like, okay, what if? And this idea of, you know, well, now the Russians have the upper hand. They're they're out for, you know, getting resources and things like that. And they don't have the, you know, because of of their success, they're able to continue going. And the the USSR does not implode. It doesn't fall apart because that was one of, you know, they really part of what bankrupted the USSR was their their space program mm-hmm. uh, you know to a degree and you know trying to build their own shuttle and things like that and they just couldn't 
couldn't do it. And and the fact that we see this continue, I again, I was like, man, this is really interesting how this would work. And yeah. And of course, then you get into the the idea of like, well, you got Russians and you got Americans on the moon. This is probably going to be kind of tense. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, that that was just very that whole thing was very interesting to me and had me hooked right from the beginning. And again, I, I totally agree with what you're saying, too. Like the toll it takes on families, especially the yeah. the the Tracy Gordo uh, deal where. You know, of course, when women are brought into the space program in season one and Tracy kind of becomes the bell of the ball and mm-hmm. surpasses Gordo. And now like that tension is a whole other brand of stuff going on. And, and yep. yeah, oh, the whole thing was just great. And then, of course, uh, you know, Molly, uh, you know, doing her her thing on the moon, you know, getting irradiated to an, an incredible degree. Um, trying to I save thought, that I, other I thought dude. That was really well done. The way they did that, you know, that where, was an where, where amazing you could see the scene. Ripples in the sand, you know, to kind of emphasize what was happening on the moon's surface and and yeah. what she was doing. Um, yeah, that was, was, was that really... was a one of the one of the tensest scenes. Yes, for for something that was not really like and, and again. Not to kick it Picard again, but hey, why not? I'm my leg is warmed up. Everything does not have to have universe-ending consequences. Import. It doesn't. Like, that really was just affecting her and this dude. But yet, it, it the tension was there. And why was the tension there? Because you knew Molly. You right. knew that character. Right. There was an investment there. You didn't really need to know the other guy. You only, he, was, he was essentially a red shirt. But you knew her. Mm-hmm. So there was, there was something at stake there. And did it so well. Yeah, and the, and the scene with Gordo and Tracy, you know, uh, you know, in that spacewalk to to save everyone. My gosh, yeah, another just magnificently done scene, and and totally done, and totally creates that tension mm-hmm. that other shows try to manufacture by you know, oh, the music, and then taking the situation over the top. It's like, no, it's because of the characters, dummy. We yep. care about them because we know about them. They've made them compelling, and they've and we've spent time with them. Yep. That's why it's the tension is there. Like, yeah, you can ramp up the music. You could have done that almost without music, and it wouldn't. It, it would still be tense as hell. Like, because you're just yep. like, oh my gosh, are they gonna make it? Are they gonna make? Yep. And then are they gonna make it back? You know? Yeah. Right. No. To, those were all. Those were all definitely my my goods. Um, I love the yeah. uh, the the integration. So so from a history standpoint. You know, we Reagan, you know, goes till 84. Then you have, I think, it, I think Gary Hart goes from 84 to 92, which, you know, again, mm. is really funny that they go with all of the, you know, kind of scandal ridden presidents end up or, or candidates end up, you know, kind of achieving their goals or, or surviving outside of the realm of a scandal. Mm. Um uh, you know, I, like, I don't know if you picked up on this, but I found it interesting that, you know, and Margo says this several times being the director of NASA that, you know, NASA is actually kind of self-funded now, you know, like it's not a, a government, you know, where it's relying on government funds. It's, it's basically funding itself, I think, because of the progress made on the moon. And I think, you know, mm-hmm. some, some ways that they're making money, which I thought was, you know, an interesting way to explain how they're able to innovate and continue to grow because, you know, like you said, I mean, any government supporting, you know, a, a program, you know, solely on its own is ultimately going to have limits, you know, to what they can do. And so it, it just kind of spoke to the progress they made and, and, and the way it could be done. And then um, I, I really liked 
how they worked in the um uh let me find the flight the uh korean airline flight that that gets essentially Mm. you know shot down in our reality ends up playing a big role because one of the main players in nasa is on that plane and we end up finding one of our characters ellen could have been on that plane does not end up on that plane and so um you know one character dies one kind of survives and so um so I just thought it was kind of interesting the way they play kind of with with, you know, fate and chance and that sort of thing and how it plays into, you know, a lot of these characters and what ends up happening and what doesn't. The mm. biggest thing from the 80s, too, which I thought was really kind of interesting was uh, and this is where we see Margot's first step into, you know, kind of the gray area a little bit is, mm. yeah. um you know, we we unfortunately have have to live with the history of, of the Challenger disaster. And in this reality, they actually catch that error, um, you know, earlier on without a flight having happened and without a crew having to die. And, you know, the, the fact that Margot goes and kind of indirectly to the Russian liaison she's kind of talking with um, shares that information of you may want to check on this thing, um, I thought was really like, like it really impacted me because, you know, a it was such a stre- not a stretch for her character, but it was such a uh, a a gutsy move by her character. But b it's like I, I was sitting there and, and I said to my wife, I'm like, she's basically making sure the Russian program doesn't die, because and and not that the Challenger program you know killed you know the Challenger accident killed NASA, but I mean it was a major setback. And oh yeah, totally. And and had they. Had she not said that, they would have had their own launch. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, sorry. I just got to disconnect again and then to reconnect. So, sorry. No, uh, I'm I'm still here. All right. Um, but, but just the impact of all that because she could have let the Russian program fall flat on its face. And it continues to go on and have the success that it does because she prevents it. Mm. I thought it was really powerful. You know, it's 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 a powerful sense of, you know, the character who ends up dying in the Korean Airlines flight. I forget his name. Um, let me see if yeah, I can find it. Yeah, me too. I, 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 I actually, Tom, Tom, yeah, I Thomas kind of forgot Payne about the that character's name. Um, you know, is trying to do this whole thing about being a city on a hill and and kind of trying to make peace and 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 moving forward with the Russians instead of against them. You know that that's kind of a thread that goes throughout the season, and and I think it's mm. just a really great theme, and and how she kind of manifests that in the choice she makes to kind of, in in reality, kind of go against her country, but doing so when you think about it in the larger sense of humanity for all mankind, what the show is called, mm-hmm. um, she really does the right thing, you know, and 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 is trying to do the humane thing. And so I, I, I like that the show deals with those sorts of really difficult, you know, decisions and questions that the characters have to face. So I thought that was that, that, that's something I just really enjoyed with season two. Yep. I would totally agree. I would totally agree. Not a whole lot bad. And uh, the only nit I have to pick, I don't know how you feel, sir, is, um, you know, the, the whole like throughout the seasons, Margot and, and Alita's relationship is kind of strange. You know, Margot has a chance to take this, take her in as a, as, as a teen and she chooses not to. And then it's kind of ironic for her to go back and kind of pull her out of the squalor. She's kind of living in to give her a job and kind of set her up and really, 
you know, Lita's story is great being, you know, kind of a, a, an illegal immigrant who comes in, eventually makes her way, but is an extremely bright young girl who who becomes, you know, a, a mission coordinator, mission director. And, uh, you know, just, just their complicated relationship I found kind of interesting in, in season two, but frustrating because it seemed like, you know, for someone who's willing to help the Russians not fall flat on their face, why would you not help a girl? You know what I mean? It's it's kind of an interesting, yeah. you know, thing where she makes that decision. Um, and then the other thing was just the whole Karen and Danny thing that ends up happening where, where she is <laughs> clearly, you know, kind of finding her freedom and finding her identity and herself and decides to have a little fun with uh, her best friend's son. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that's... Um... That was a little uncomfortable to watch. <laughs> yeah, but I mean... I mean, I'm going to guess that stuff like that has happened. And, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. no, I, I agree. I think I, I, you know, now that you say it, Margot and Aleda, I, I do think that is kind of an inconsistency. There is a yeah. bit of a blip there. I'm sure it's done for a reason. I'm sure the part, probably the reason is like, well, you know, Margot is an injured individual and she was kind of rejected and, you know, by Von Braum and, and all and like all these things and I'm sure that there's there's something there, but it almost feels like it's it's a little too cute. Like you're trying to you're trying to put an echo in there when you really don't need to. But then again, it makes me wonder just how much, you know, you, you kinda have to have Margot as this as this person who is putting out this facade that is this or she is this person she is abrupt and she is not necessarily you know gonna be touchy-feely and all this and she gets stuff done but that also makes her intensely lonely and and she she has this dude that she's kind of friendly with but she can't be friendly with with this other person because then she doesn't she has to see her every day she doesn't have to see you know sergey every day right so right. i mean i don't know maybe there's some sort of bigger thing in there that i'm missing yeah. yeah, that's a that's a minor thing. I would it's it's I would it's, it's a agree with you it's there. Not yeah, like I there there are no lows. I think in that season really. I mean, it's no, it's you know the the Karen and Danny thing is just a uh, you know it's just a you know <laughs> when my wife and I are watching, we're like, I really hope it's not going to the place that we think it's going to, and then you know we get to the next episode, it's like, oh no, they're going to that. Oh my God, they went to that. Pl oh sweet Moses. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> they done went there. They done did. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it, I mean, honestly, it, it is really difficult to find, you know, it's not a perfect show, but it's really hard to find something genuine to complain about, quite honestly. Yeah. I don't, I don't see any gaping holes, any kind of, you know, red flags anywhere, really. I just, it's solid. It is yep. solid. 100%. It was done with a lot of care. Hundred percent. I just love the fact they made a shuttle with missiles. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. That's so <laughs> freaking cool. Hysterical. I'm like, that's dang, awesome. We're get things are getting real here. We got we got weaponry now on this thing. It's like we're mm -hmm. we're, we're like one phaser away from the Enterprise. So damn close. All right, sir. So now we bring ourselves to the 1990s, the land of flannels and grunge and. Uh, uh, questionable hairstyles. Uh, here is season three <laughs> for of, some, <laughs> for all mankind, and uh, we find ourselves. Uh, we've got a we've got a hotel in space. We've got an uh, uh, an uh, 
a cult of personality happening with some sort of, uh, you know, CEO, visionary. We got all kinds of stuff happening here. Oh, yeah. Uh, yep. What would you say is, uh, you know, what, what are your goods from this season? What do you, what'd you really like? Uh, I, you know, I, I, you know, again, I really like the, the economy of the storytelling. Um, there is in, you know, across, I think one or two of the episodes, um, the journey to Mars, um, before I forget, really like the transition from season two to season three musically where they use, uh, Nirvana's come as you are. Yeah. Um, Especially, Although that has has kind of become a like a go to, it's almost like yeah. every Vietnam movie would use, yep. you know, either Ball of Confusion or Run Through the Jungle. Yep. You know, it's it's got to be one of those two. Yeah. Uh, but but they did it very well here. Yes. Well, and, and just the image at the end of season two with Margot standing at JFK's, you know, uh, not, not graveside but memorial, um, mm. with that song playing was just very eerie. You know, and, 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 you know, not foreboding, but just, you know, given everything that happened in two going into three, just felt right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have a nit to pick or, or I wouldn't even call it a, a bad, you know, for season three and its transition to four. But um, but overall, you know, we come into the 90s with with really the, the goal being Mars and. Mm hmm. Uh, and just uh, and not only Mars, but I found it really interesting that now we're starting to see because of the progress made in space, it is now having repercussions down on Earth where um, where workers uh, from different energy you know fields are now um, suffering because they have discovered this element or this this material helium three up in the moon mm. that is now becoming this you know uh, much better energy source um, or source sorry source of energy for power on on earth and so now it is putting out of work um, a, a big chunk of the energy sector and so now you're starting to see a lot of unrest because of the innovation and the progress made through the space race, um, Mm -hmm. which I thought was kind of, you know, interesting and, you know, not completely out of character for the nineties. You know, it just, it feels like even though the history has forked a little bit in this series, there's still, you know, undertones of, of thematic elements that we live through that are still coming through. And, you know, we'll get into the, you know, the big, the big event at the end, uh, that, that, that really kind of, you know, blew, well, Sorry, not to make a pun, blew me away. Uh, um, ah, see what I did there? Um, but no, I mean the whole idea of a, of a hotel in space was just just seemed insane to me. But but was well done, you know. I mean, it, uh, you know, like you mentioned with with Pacific Rim, they they do things logically and you know um, and have some grounding to it. And so I, I thought, you know, the way it started out, the way it plays out, um, you know, a lot of the um, you know the whole race to Mars. I thought was was interesting. I absolutely love the fact that rather than having a person step on the surface of Mars, you have two people tumbling out and basically doing a yeah. wrestling roll through <laughs> uh, as as the first contact on the Martian surface. So yeah. You know, that seems much more in tune with just, uh, you know, human beings in general, doesn't it? Yes. Like that sounds like I, I saw that. and I'm like, yep, that's pretty much how I think this would play out. Well, I, I and yeah, and that's exactly I said to my I, I said to my wife, I'm like, it's so funny that, that the way they play out this historic touchdown on this on 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 another planet 
is by showing how childish we as adults can be. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 don't get me wrong, like, and you know, maybe I'm being biased toward the Danielle character, but I understand, like, like there was a part of me that that was really getting frustrated with the with the Russian contingent because of the fact that. You know, again, it's one it's it's one of the it's a strange tug of war where it's like, had they not gone and saved them, mm-hmm. they wouldn't be where they were. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And yet, because they're alive, they feel they can, you know, kind of leverage their freedom on or 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 just, you know, exercise their freedom on others and do what they want. And it just, you know, it all feels very childish in the end. You know what I mean? And and that's something that I just think they do a really great job of kind of showing is even these adults in this completely new world, in this new place that they've all been striving to get to, can act like absolute jackasses when they get there. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Absolutely. Because again, the, the it's so anti Star Trek, which again is, is, is so much of, of what Ron Moore has done since working on Star Trek. Like, oh, I don't have to follow those rules anymore. Sweet. Yep. Every show is going to have a scene in the bathroom. Yeah. You know, because we can never show a bathroom, you know, and, and it's always, oh, and everyone's working together. It's like, I love how that's, no, this is looking at the world that I've known the past 46 years, this mm-hmm. is totally how that would play out. Yeah. Oh, I love yeah. that. Yeah, no, true. That was great. That was absolutely great. Um, I really liked how, um, you know, just just sort of that the introduction of the private sector into yes. things, and and yep. how that's like, yeah, that's the next logical step. It isn't just going to be, you know, USA USSR. Eventually, there's going to be a private company or private companies that are going to try and get in on this, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I like how we start exploring that like that made a lot of sense to me and it also gives you an, a new character and a real wild card in this whole thing uh and and again that even gives you a good excuse to go back and revisit some of those relationships between the characters that we we've learned and you know we've learned so much about and uh yep. it again it gives you a logical reason to go back and revisit those relationships not just like oh you know you said something to me like ah they're beyond that point like you could these two people could like probably punch each other in the face and it'd be fine yeah but when you then pit these things with this third entity out there now all of a sudden whoa 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 what's happening here now it Mm. changes the dynamic and it does it in a logical way i like that um yeah yeah, and I, I like again how the it is a it is a logical thing. Like, okay, now we're both on the moon. All right, now who's gonna get to Mars first? Because it is. It's always that it's the next thing. Yep. And I and I I I just I really enjoy that. Yeah, and the and the race for Mars was great. Uh, you know, the deploying of the sail, you know, I, I thought that that was a great moment. Just it was fun. Like in, in a in a in a series that is it is serious. It's a drama. And yeah, there's mm-hmm. some humor to me. That was like the goofiest thing that they've done. But they pull it off because they're not asking you to do that. It's almost like with a the episode of um, of BSG where Ellen Ty shows yeah. up and they're yeah. having dinner and all that like it was as close to like a a comic a comedic farce as you'll ever get yeah. and it works because they're not doing it every damn week they pull that out every so often and 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 things like that and i like how they they're like you know what let's do something goofy right here yo ho i'm like oh you know what damn yeah. right go on with your bad self i love it well, um and, and 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 i love too like with the 90s how 
some of the innovation and some of the changes we see in technology are accelerated. You know, like like yeah. the whole idea of the dev character and Helios Aerospace and like you said, that private sector kind of coming into play has a real you know, for for me, it has a real kind of feel of of like what Google must have been like, potentially. Mm-hmm. But I know for today, people probably look watch that storyline play out and it's like, oh, that's like Elon Musk and Tesla, you know, mm-hmm. because he yep. has SpaceX going on, you know, and he he is a private company that is trying to do, you know, space, you know, sort of uh, activities. Um but but showing also how you know, at the end of the day, even though, you know, Dev seems like this this person who is about the people and about the community, really at the end of the day is about himself and yep. and, and what he wants. It's just very manipulative the way he goes about doing it. Mm. And or, or or the way you you know, he he kind of spins decisions being from the people or from the group as opposed to himself, but really kind of, you know, like cattle herds everyone in that direction. You know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um I, I thought it was really well done. Um, it was interesting to see all of the, you know, changes in, in relationships happening, you know, Ed jumping over to, uh, you know, like, like jumping over to Helios. But when, when, when I saw him, like, like I, I love the actor who plays Ed and how well he portrays Ed as happy go lucky one moment when he thinks he has the, the mission under his belt to looking like the saddest man on the planet when he finds out that Danielle gets it. And he's just this mopey, you know, <laughs> this mopey lug who can't be happy for his friend in any sense. You know, it's just like, mm-hmm. forget this. Oh, yeah. Um, and and then to just you know to kind of just follow that 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 path of you know I'm I'm gonna go do this and and this is what I'm gonna be, um, you know I thought it was great payoff for the Danielle character to have her finally you know you know be, you know as as an African American being you know the 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 pilot and being the you know the commander of this mission, giving yeah because before this view. they only gave her the one the one command was like to the mission that nobody like right. the, the the capsule that's like oh yeah we're gonna take this out of storage here you're the commander of this tin can that we used yeah. like 15 years ago like well, gee thanks and she ends up being part of one of the most critical pieces of yep you know and like we didn't cover this in season two but i mean the america and russia were literally at the edge of 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 nuclear war and you know she becomes part of th- this this handshake the sign of a friendship between the two countries that ends up influencing both leaders to stand down, take a breath and kind of move forward in a more peaceful direction. So mm-hmm. it's interesting to see how she plays such a pivotal role in, in some of these ways and yet is, you know, has continuously been relegated. And now finally in, in season three gets, you know, kind of her due in terms of being, you know, the leader and commander of, of this very, very groundbreaking and critical mission. Yep. So, yeah, no, I, I think they did a great service to her character. I thought the, the um, you know, the action on, on Mars was was well done. I, I like how it stayed away from the Martian piece of it a little bit. You know, the movie The Martian about all the survivability aspects of things mm. and just, you know, I like how they, they, they kind of gloss over some of the technical complexity that goes into doing missions like this and just kind of assumes technology covers it and focuses just on, you know, as, as you've said to me and texted to me many times, how it focuses on the characters. It doesn't get, yeah. it doesn't get burdened 
by trying to explain how can they do all of this stuff. They focus on the story and the characters and you don't even really care about it in the end. You know, Mars is just a backdrop for everything going on with the characters. And, mm-hmm. and I think it's, it's, you know, just again, a credit to the writing team and the, and the producer and directors. Yeah. And another thing I think they did really well is they, they finally kind of pay off a couple of uh, ticking time bombs that have been ticking for an awfully damn long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 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 longest ticking time bomb is the White House recordings, which apparently uh, I didn't I didn't realize this. I think the original installation of a recording device in the White House was actually uh, when JFK was in office. But mm-hmm. of course, we know it was it was really kicked into high gear by uh, by Richard Nixon. Well, because you know Watergate doesn't happen and the the Watergate tapes aren't a thing. The recording, dev- the recording system is left in place, and so we hear throughout the seasons, uh, mm. we hear phone calls, yep. we hear recordings in the Oval Office of the president speaking with different people. That has been sitting there, and they cut and they cut away to it enough times. I'm like, okay, this is going to bite somebody in the ass. Who it going to be? And we see when Ellen becomes president, boom. They finally that bomb finally goes off, the same as uh, the entire um, the entire subplot of um, uh, what's her name? I just said Margot, and being groomed as a as a Russian asset, and then finally that becoming coming into the forefront. Like it's like okay, now it's like here are these things that have been taking away, and now they're going to start going off. And I like how they played, they paid those off and, and just how damn patient they were in yeah. paying those off. Because it would have been so easy in season two to have the whole Margot thing sped up uh, yeah. because you're worried about it. Or to or to maybe say like, oh, and, it, it, and they discovered it with Reagan, you know, the taping device in, in season right. two. They could have done that early, but they waited. And the fact that they waited until Ellen is president, you know, first female president. Mm-hmm. And then this pays off, and it pays off in a way that then also pays off the ticking time bomb of 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 who she is, like her 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 sexuality, you know, the fact that she is a lesbian, and that she has been posing with this other dude who's gay, <laughs> who's a gay yeah. man, and they're yeah. and they are they're a couple, and they have a they have a child, and you know this this whole facade that's been going along in order to further her political career, mm-hmm. and now all of a sudden it's all blowing up. Yep. And in that in that moment, I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Like, what what's what about this dude? What, but what's going to happen with her and all? And I'm like, it's it's insane how they pay all that off. Yeah. Um. And then of course you also have the the um, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting his name, the the character who comes out as gay on the Mars mission. Oh yeah yeah I let me see kind of setting that it. whole thing in in motion. Like again, like it. You can say that's a reach. Okay, fine. But there's going to be reaches. Like, there's, it's not an unfathomable reach where you're like, oh, no way would this possibly ever happen. You know, like, okay, it's a reach. But we're also, now we've gotten to a point in the timeline where, okay, not as much of a reach as you would think. You know what I mean? I yeah. like, again, how it's done in a logical and a very patient way. Like, they, they didn't, it, it, this is not microwave you know, uh, television. This is very. This is like a very patient seven course meal that you're getting here, um, and and it's it's Will great. Tyler. I, 
character is Will Tyler. Will Tyler. Thank you. I should have known because, I mean, his name was mentioned approximately a billion times in season three. <laughs> but, yep. Yep. Uh, but no, I, I thought all those were done really well. Um, do you have any, uh, any, any nits to pick, any bad, any ugly for this? I don't have any ugly, but I do have, I might have some bad. Um, you know, one thing I want to touch on real quick and, and, and you, you just covered it. So just want to emphasize again, but, but, you know, throughout the seasons, the, the way they dealt with the struggles of those, um, you know, whose, whose sexuality deviates, you know, or, or goes in a different direction from, you know, from, uh, where you know from where society is you know i i think they do they do a very good job of of depicting the challenges there and and how that all like you said plays up into ellen's role as president and what she eventually has to reveal you know um in a way to save her husband but also to you know just kind of open up and be honest and 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 how you know that ends up being a groundbreaking thing for her i think it's interesting that one of the characters in the cast end up becoming you know president um mm-hmm. in, in the 90s and not bill clinton um you know so i thought that was kind of an interesting you know twist that they put into this kind of forked you know history as well but they um, still managed to incorporate don't ask don't tell which was exactly if i'm remembering exactly. right that was a clinton policy Yes. So it's it's yep. it's a weird thing where some things do kind of happen yep. in a similar time frame, but they happen in a different way. But it again, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, real quick, the, the, the big thing that I, I like it because of how it um, how it impacts the end of the season is 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 the bombing that happens. Not that I like the bombing. Yeah. But the fact that it's. It ends up, like you said, I think one of the themes of the season almost was was like the these little things that have been festering for a long time blow up, and you have um, a group who is, for one reason or another, unhappy with NASA. Who, you know, again, it kind of relates to our time. You have some people who kind of believe in the sort of fictitious sort of theories of things that are going on, and it comes to pass and, and there being, you know, this, this bombing that happens at, at, at the NASA location in Houston. And it ends up playing into, um, as you know, uncle Todd and I have been texting about when I finally saw the finale, you know, Margot does this big speech at the end and kind of walks out and, the bombing happens. And so I don't know, like we don't know going into season four is, is it presumed that Margot's dead? Do people mm-hmm. know that Margot basically was acting almost in a traitorous kind of way by helping Well, one the sure shooting does. What's right? that? Well, actually, no, a couple do. A couple do because Alita knew. Yes. But and... Alita walked into her office and saw that her office was half blown to smithereens. So well, that's yeah, where but I'm just I'm saying wondering. like, yeah, uh, Bill, Bill Strausser. Uh, yep. What yep. was his What was his nickname? Oh my gosh, it was very. It was. It was he was the guy who oh, peed I his pants. Now. Shoot. Yeah, uh, but um, he peed his pants. But uh, I must have had me about twenty seven Doctor Peppers. Um, <laughs> oh, but they knew. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, it, 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 there's a whole lot of questions posed there. So, so and, yeah, definitely. And, and then you know, Karen dies, which is huge because she's been you know, since the beginning of this 
show started, such a foundational mm. character and seeing her evolution into this very strong, you know, CEO level kind of, you know, person who, who, you know, has control of, of her life and so forth. And, you know, she gets caught up in, in just being in the wrong place at the wrong time. It'll be mm. interesting to see the implications in season four, as we understand how time plays out, you know, there's a group in Mars who are needing to come back, you know, there, there's a ship in Mars that needs to come back and mission control is now destroyed. Um, you know, so what, how does that impact, you know, America's space program? Mm -hmm. How does that impact Russia's space program? What is the next thing for them? You know, is, is, are they going beyond Mars when we get to the two thousands or well, I think I know how it impacts uh, Russia's space program. Cause we get ourselves a post-credit scene that mm -hmm. kind of just, uh, kicks you right in the keister. Oh, it does. Oh, it does. Margo um, uh, wakes up someplace that we ain't expecting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as nits, uh, my nits, like, I don't have any lows, really, but I think my nits um, primarily sit with the Stevens boys. Ah, uh, uh, yes. I was hoping... I was hoping we were going to get to the Stevens boys. Oh, oh my goodness. Dysfunction Steve on four legs. It's, it's amazing. Gordo and Tracy, uh, could you have done any and any better? Um, well, the fact is that they were only good parents in comparison to Ed and Karen, really. That was, <laughs> that was, the, that was the only way that you looked at them oh and you're like, gosh. they're doing all right. Oh, my, oh gosh. my goodness. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll start with, with the lesser of the two. Uh, Jimmy Stevens, uh, the character. <laughs> Hairstyle just annoyed the heck out of me the entire season. I mean, he was—he was his father's son, really. That hairstyle was very much a Gordo thing. Like, oh, you and you inherited your father's hairline. Like I'm sorry. Someone found a mop head and decided it worked as a, as a wig or something like that. And I mean, he just put it on, and it didn't matter what angle, what orientation, it was just there. And, and no, you're it's, like, good it's more like it's more like a Halloween wig from a really <sighs> cheap costume that got shoved underneath like a clothes rack, and then you found it like three years later and just shook it off and went here put this on it's like michael like, myers mask without the mask you know just just the hair <laughs> from the mask it's just oh my god so yeah, that, drove that me was nuts. rough that drove me nuts as, as well as his general behavior because uh you know the, clearly the boys had issues with their parents but it was just i i i don't know that they've done enough to establish the angst you know what i mean like like there there wasn't as much of a um there there wasn't as much of an obvious nature to whatever the boys feel toward their parents as there was with Shane to Ed and Karen. You know, like like Ed and Karen in season one were very clearly not doing a great parenting job. Mm. We didn't really see that with Tracy and Gordo. And we didn't really see it in season two with Tracy and Gordo. So all the angst from the boys is just kind of like, where did this come from? Because, well, I mean, yes, the parents split up and yes, there was angst that went with that, but it just felt like, I don't know. I, I just kind of felt like it was not very well explained. I, I get where you're going with that. I, I felt it was, I didn't question it as much, mostly because I look at it from the standpoint of this. Your dad is basically an alcoholic who really, you know, is kind of living off of some glory days and, you know, is not, is a shadow of his former self because he, he feels like he's just been totally outshined by his wife. And then your mom is, you know, oh, she's the, the, like the, I forget what they call her. 
Um, but essentially just playing up the fact that, oh, she's gorgeous and she's an astronaut and she's it's this like and that. sweetheart. Yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. And and obviously, I don't think she's spending a whole lot of time with, I don't think either of them are really spending a ton of time with the kids, but it seems like they're, like the, the, the Stevens boys are kind of living with Gordo more than anything and are just watching their father just kind of disintegrate and be mopey and this and that. And you've got mom out there jet setting and all this stuff and... I mean, you take the divorce plus all of that, and you know, I, I think there's a, I think there's a lot there. Not to mention, you know, kind of what we learn of Danny, you know, feeling some guilt about the death of, you know, the uh, Shane, and you know, plus then also the guilt of of everything that happened with Karen. I think there's enough dysfunction there that I get, I get mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. One of my bads is I just I I feel like. I feel like Jimmy Stevens gets played as such an a doofus. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. And and, and I'm like, like how okay. is he even functioning as an adult in society? Sort of thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean it's it's one of those deals where it's like he's so easily duped. Like, how is he even wearing pants? I don't I don't get it. Like <laughs> My pants. he's like they, they totally just get but then again I also get it. Like he's he's a lonely dude who he is the and he's also the he is the younger son who is not, you know, it doesn't seem like there's a lot expected out of him. Most is ex- is expected out of Danny, and Danny, they kind of go in the two directions. And you can, I, I think you can kind of see this sometimes with, like, brothers or, or siblings, where it's like, one is, like, just aims for the top, and they're straight as an arrow and all this, and the other one's like, well, the pressure's off of me. I guess I can just do whatever I want um, for, you know, however that works out. But... I guess I, I felt like there was enough dysfunction there to explain it. I did kind of wish that Jimmy was a little bit quicker on the uptake, but I guess it also serves the story. Like somebody has to be duped, and and Jimmy being as as kind of lonely and as much of an outcast as he feels, like hey, mm. this this cute girl is just even talking to you, so he's in, <laughs> even though he knows it's wrong. She my, likes me. My biggest problem with. With something t- tangentially to do with Jimmy is the fact that they get that fracking statue, and they manage to steal it from NASA, and they just throw it at the back of the pickup truck. Like that thing isn't going to weigh a couple tons. Like you think NASA is going to have like a paper mache statue out there? Like that's not going to weigh a lot, and it's it's like right at the front door. Like how do they manage to like make off with that? I'm imagining that NASA has some sort of a gate. Yeah, you know. Oh yeah, and and then it and then it's just never that that kind of bugged me. Like, okay, that's that's the thing that to me is like, okay, now you're getting into this. I'm sure that was some writer's thing, and and maybe it was Ron Moore's thing, and he just decided, you know what, I'm playing with house money. Let's do this. I don't know. You know what that to me that, that was like eh. when what? on the Simpsons they did a spoof uh, where uh, I think they they had like a, a a stone statue of Jimmy Carter that on the bottom of it said Malaise. <laughs> 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 I saw that. I mean, you know, Gordo and Tracy dying is an emotional moment in the show, so I'm not trying to make light of it, but it's just when I saw that statue, I'm like, it just seems like such a cool, like I get doing the statue for them, but it just felt kind of, out of I don't know, a little bit out of place. Yeah. Um, I think the, the other, the only real thing that bothered me um, is the North Korean astronaut or cosmonaut being on Mars for like seemingly forever in that little capsule. The Martian, like, man. 
unlimited. Well, he's not growing his own potatoes and crap. Like he's living in a he's living in essentially like a small clothes closet with how much food and and where where's he getting air from? Like to me, there was just so many holes in that. Like. Okay, like they got him there. First of all, I want to know how they got a space capsule from, you know, a rocket from there to there, Mm -hmm. you know, and I get it like they're like, oh, it was strung together and it's really rickety and all this and he can't even communicate back or anything like that. Okay, fine. I get all that. But the all of that is so rickety. But yet the life support is other level where he has unlimited (laughs) air supply and unlimited food like (laughs) Has he got a replicator in there or something? Like, where's yeah. all this coming from? You know, that was the one thing to me that took me out. I'm like, I, this doesn't make sense. In a show where most everything you can kind of explain in a logical way, this thing right here is is giving me a funny smell. Although one thing they don't really explain ever is how all of the habitats have gravity. Well, yes. And... But, but then again, you, but that's it's one of I those can look things. Past. You know what I mean? It's it it doesn't ruin my view or my grounding in the show. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just I kind of accept it as okay, they must have the tech for it. But it is kind of funny when, like when you said about, you know, how, how the life support is other level. It's like, yeah, all these habitats, no matter what happens to them, they seem to be just fine with gravity. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And, and I think at one point he's actually like tossing the cans down into like the footwell. I'm like, those would be floating yeah. around. You know, now yeah. that you say that. Yeah, no, totally. And but that is one of those things where you just have to go, OK, yeah, it's, you know, whatever. It's like why there's sound in space. Like, that's not a thing. But it seems weird if you don't, because we've seen enough movies that have sound in space. Um, but, yeah, the, that was that to me was kind of bogus. Um, I'm going to guess you have at least one ugly because you you've you've talked about one of the Stevens boys a bit, but you really haven't dug in on the other one. And I know that I know that you have some problem. You have some. There's there's people who have daddy issues. You've got Danny issues. So why don't you just share with the group? You know, me share Gene, with the group what I can't stand. No, like <laughs> seriously, like Danny Stevens, that character just wore on me as the season went on, and. <laughs> Which was great hearing, like having you text text me like every three episodes, like I can't stand this guy. Here's the thing: <laughs> airlock Here, him. Why, why don't we? Honestly, my 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 wife, God bless her, is becoming like Madam Airlock during when we watch the show. She's like, I wish they just put him out of the airlock. It's like, where's amen. Laura Roslin when you need her? <laughs> um. I and you spoke on this, so so I don't want to relitigate it. But but I, I think with with the Tracy Gordo and their boys dynamic, maybe there wasn't as much of a lens put on it as maybe there needed to be to kind of, as an audience member, understand how messed up they are, because you know clearly what he did with Karen was messed up in season two, but they don't really give you any insights into him. You know, I mean, he starts as this bit character during season two. They have their moment. He's devastated that she, you know, kind of blows him off afterwards. And, you know, season three is kind of like you see some of the repercussions, but it's like 10 years later. And and it's not to say that those things still wouldn't be there, but it's just like, then you see him spiral back into drug use and all this other stuff. And you're just kind of like, 
okay, but help me understand why are you feeling this way? You know, I mean, yes, I understand your parents were divorced and they died, you know, when you were still young. And, you know, those are definitely things that, that can impact a young person. But when you, I don't know how else to describe it other than like going back to like the season one and the Ed and Karen example, it's like there was a focus that was put on Shane. You know what I mean? And I don't feel that same yeah, focus was but, put on the Stevens boys to understand how messed up they are. Well, I think they did that later on. I mean, when you think about it, how much screen time did Shane really have? Like, we didn't, it's not like, because I, I, I know they had no, a kid, but him. it's not like I could, I, not like I even tell you what he looks but, like or anything. But the impact of his parents on him, we saw. Well, and so yeah. you, you could draw a line to say, okay, I'm seeing why this kid is rebelling or I'm seeing why this kid is doing this, why he would run off to his basketball game, even though she told him to stay home. I could see why. The The Stevens boys are a different story. And so in season three, you know, Danny's, you know, he's given focus. He, he's being given the, the limelight to kind of show, you know, how this stuff has been impacting him. But I feel like there wasn't really a buildup to it to kind of know that this powder keg was going to go off. And so my comment to Uncle Todd while I was watching season three was I was really concerned they were going to go down a path where Ed, you know, ends up getting killed or something because Danny through either being in a drug induced, you know, state or something else. And it almost happens with the drilling incident. Mm -hmm. Um, ends up killing him inadvertently or killing him because he wants Karen. And I'm like, this takes the show in a totally different direction for me that like, this becomes like a Melrose place, Beverly Hills, 90210 sort of thing. You know, it's like, this is not what the show was about. Thankfully they didn't do that. And thankfully yeah. they didn't go in that direction. And it seems like they're trying to chart him on a course where he's going to correct himself and, 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 you know, get better. But, but it, it just, it was playing with that, that possibility for a period of time where I just was like, please do not do this. Cause it is such a, dis it, you know, it's not that Ed as a character has to be protected from death, but it feels very against the spirit of the show to have him killed because this kid is obsessed with his wife. That just feels totally off the realm of where the show is supposed to go. Well, yeah. Does that and make that, sense? No. And it, that was the threat. However, I would, I w and it was you know it was a threat and it didn't end up happening and you know it did for the not. for it the did. best right right uh, I would say I think you're I'm not sure what else you want because the thing is like you say oh well the 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 parents got divorced and you know then the parents died and that's but the, the parents died in like one of the most public ways possible when you know your parents weren't that great but now everyone thinks that they're the greatest thing ever you know and you're like. I could see where it would turn and 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 really mess you up that like you like you know your parents as this you know these people as this but everyone else thinks that they are you know are a hero and I mean the thing is I have seen this and I won't go into any details with this I've seen this in in my life happen not to me personally but I've watched someone mm. go through it of of that disconnect of what that person knows about a person and what other people see of that person and how it is trying to reconcile all of that and and still mm. have a relationship or or still just piece through all of those feelings that that is a lot to deal with and I could I could imagine especially in a I mean and that's and that's for someone you know, you're dealing you're dealing with two people who are kids. I don't think I think they were what they were teen, maybe early teens. 
Yeah. I mean, but they were yeah. they were young, young enough that I mean, you're still in a formative time. Like I could see that completely jacking up somebody's, you know, emotional development and really, you know, putting them in very two different different places. Like Jimmy just is like, I don't I just don't care. And and Danny's like, Well, I must now achieve. But I'm also gonna right. drive myself and do it in a real I'm not gonna address any I mean, of the stuff that, that I that yeah. is bothering me and therefore it's still going to be bothering me. 10 years later because I, I never addressed it. I just pushed through it and I'm doing the things that I should do even mm-hmm. though mentally and emotionally I ain't all there. I mean, they they do give him some moments admittedly during season three where, where he talks about, you know, being an astronaut and doing this is something that he, you know, it, it wasn't of his own desire but it was it was to live up to be something else you know and and so they do try to do service to it i i just i i don't know something just didn't hit me right with it and and it just really bothered me for you know a period of time now they do write the ship toward the end are you there yes all right it says offline for me on zencaster i'm not seeing it okay can you but you can hear me still Yep. Weird. Okay. Well, we'll just keep going. Um, no. So, so, um, you know, so, so, so they do write the ship with him, but, uh, and, and they seem to be, you know, taking him in a direction, but of, but of course where we leave him and where things end up in the two thousands is, you know, you know, yet, yet to be known with season four. So, so overall, I mean, I think it was, um, you know, I think, one of the things they they did a nice job during the season subtly of of establishing though is is finally you know kind of that camaraderie and that peace between these different nations on Mars, um, you know because when we leave them all they're all surviving together, you know the Russians, the Americans and and the North Korean, and and it really is kind of you know quite a departure from where the the prior two seasons were where it was very much you know season one was america playing catch-up season two was you know america and russia kind of facing off on the moon but ultimately kind of you know establishing a sort of peace and now in season three this sort of now collaborative you know almost nature of of their existence because without it they none of them would survive so so i thought it was kind of an interesting way to end things um and and you know for for me there there really wasn't a whole lot else bad with it i think it was again economical storytelling well done and uh and and enjoyable Agreed, one hundred percent. And and for your in your case, uh, you know, Danny has been put in timeout in the North Korean capsule. So all's well that ends well. You know, that's what I love is like it's it's like you know putting putting baby in a corner. No, no, nobody puts baby in a corner, but plenty of people put Danny in the capsule, and that's all that we need, ladies and gentlemen. So good enough. I'm fine with it. I'm Jimmy, good get with that, that hair combed. Just get shaved, dude. It's like a bad case of mange going on there. It's like a golden retriever that's way past its prime that probably is barely limping along day to day. What's up with that? What's up with that? And another thing. What do you got for and another thing this episode, sir? Uh, well, you know, living the high life that I'm living, uh, I, I went and threw some shekels at uh, WWE 2K22 on the old gaming laptop and uh, have been 
having myself a little bit of a heyday uh, playing that game. I was a big proponent back in the 2000s of the Raw versus SmackDown series where a lot of innovation was done uh, by the uh, the Ukes development squad um, over there and uh, and just, you know, a lot of creativity, you know, from create a character to create a belt to, you know, kind of being your own GM uh, of, of uh, a brand. Um, they kind of brought all those things back. Apparently the prior outing to K20 was just resoundingly awful, uh, very overly complicated in terms of the game control. Um, features weren't great. It, it just was resoundingly bad. And apparently they took two years to put out the next version. And this one is is really a joy to play. Um, hmm. Game control is great. Um, the graphics are amazing. I mean, you literally have the wrestlers, you know, if you have a match that goes for five, 10 minutes, you know, the, the wrestlers are sweating during the match you know it, it you start to see it and it's it's really kind of freaky and, and interesting you know it's like wow this is kind of <laughs> replicating real life but i'm a little spooked by it <laughs> sort of thing so um the the creation modes are a lot of fun uh i mean it's it's so vast you can create a wrestler's entrance you can create a wrestler you can create an arena you can create a show you can create a belt um huh. i mean i i haven't explored everything yet but it's been a lot of fun kind of you know playing it and just you know getting to you know do some some you know cool things with with the game and the freedom that it gives you um the detail in the belts is pretty amazing um you know again similar to to, to the wrestlers themselves the the just the de- the attention to detail is really really amazing with the graphics so uh so yeah so i would just highly recommend it if you're a fan of wwe and uh combat wrestling sort of games uh it, it, it is a lot of fun it is very uh game control is much more simplified a lot of fun to play uh, a lot of different modes to play in and uh you will not be disappointed uh, if anything, you will be uh, thrown by how much time goes by and it doesn't feel like it's all that much, but it's been like, you know, two hours. So be careful. Tread lightly. <laughs> that is my recommendation. Alrighty. Well, good enough. Well, I'm, uh, I'm going to go in a different direction. Uh, Tim's going with the latest and the greatest in video games. I'm going uh, way back, way, 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 way back to 1992 for my and another thing uh, for the album Never Been Rocked Enough by Delbert McClinton uh, this is filed under country um, which is kind of funny it does have definitely a country tinge to it however uh, Delbert is uh, an artist that kind of uh, kind of has his toes in a few different genres there's definitely some uh, more than a little blues in there uh, there's also a little bit of rock there's a there is a little bit of country there's a little bit of rock uh, Rock. Uh, I mean, uh, even a little bit of funk in there. Like uh, but times. he's a country and western. Well, and the funny part is, uh, as as I'm sure that you're aware of, the Blues Brothers in their uh, on their briefcase full of blues album have a song called "B Movie Boxcar Blues." Ah. Which do you you remember that? That is a Delbert McClinton song. So there we are. We are tying those two together. Uh, but this was his 1992 release, and it's uh, probably the biggest song off of this. Uh, I've seen it in a couple of different uh, playlists and things like that. Is a song called "Every Time I Roll the Dice." Great, great little rocking kind of number. I'm, I am now actually more of a, a fan of the second song, which is "I Used to Worry," which is just great lyrics, just funny. And go ahead and listen to it. I'm not going to spoil them for you. 
Uh, there's a little bit of a, a little bit of reggae at the end with his cover of Bob Marley's "Stir It Up," uh, and also uh, the cover of a song "Have a Little Faith in Me." Uh, and in between there, there's a bunch of other, a uh, bunch of other songs that uh, just again, just very biting, clever lyrics. And uh, Delbert's voice is just so much fun. Uh, just the way his growl kind of, and the way his voice breaks a little bit to me, it reminds me of a um, when you're playing. Uh, guitar especially but for me it's it's more uh when i would play harmonica you want to you want to be playing and overdrive and, and kind of get the sound to break up so you get kind of a little bit of distortion but you do it on a if you have a tube amp it's you're you're driving it so hard that it, the sound just kind of naturally breaks up in a in an analog sort of way without using a like a digital distortion pedal or something like that nice. um, but that's that's his voice like his voice just kind of has that natural sort of breaking apart but in a really cool way um and a uh, heck of a heck of a songwriter heck of a, a singer also not a not a bad harmonica player at all either um he's uh, got a bunch of different uh, live albums and in fact on another one of his uh, live albums he covers the temptations shaky ground which is amazing um but yeah, definitely check out 1992's Never Been Rocked Enough by Delbert McClinton. If you're looking just for something, the 37 minutes, it's a quick album, but man, it's a fun one. It's a real fun album just to be driving along to. Nice. Uh, so give it a spin or a download and, uh, you know, get a, get a couple uh, get a couple shekels into Delbert's uh, pockets these days. Uncle Todd will not steer you wrong. Uh, well, I mean, I wouldn't go that far. Who knows? But I will not steer you wrong on this point. It is now time for us to shuffle on off uh, back into interwebs land and do whatever we do the rest of our lives. When we are not chatting with you fine folks, we like to thank all the members of the Free Range Idiocy Congregation for gathering together, for uh, for listening to the holy scriptures of idiocy. Uh, we, we believe definitely in the power of redemption through idiocy uh, and really... We don't have a choice. That's our only hope, really. That's that's it. I mean, well, actually, Tim's Tim's a fairly decent person, but if if idiocy ain't going to help me, I'm in real trouble, folks. Uh, but thank you for listening. Thank you for the downloads. Thank you for your continued subscriptions. If you have not subscribed, you can find all of our episodes at freerangeidiocy.com. You can download them all there, or even just listen right on the on the Podbean app. You can also subscribe through all the major pod, uh, podcast uh, streaming services, po- uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pandora, all the Spotify, all of those fine folks. And, uh, well, I don't know if they're fine or not, but, yeah, you can get the show there. Uh, if you have any questions, thoughts, or concerns, what I want you to do is I want you to send those to Tim at Free Range EDC, Cong- uh, Free Range EDC Congregation. Holy cow. Let me try that one more time. <laughs> Tim at FreeRangeEDC.com. How about that? <laughs> and uh, if, if you have a suggestion for a show, all the better. You might even hear us uh, say words out of our mouth that you had suggested for us to say. You, uh, you can follow us on the social medias. We are on Instagram and Facebook. All the, Both those are at Free Range Idiocy. Twitter is still... <laughs> you know, the funny thing was, I, I mentioned that about, you know, well, if I were Kanye West, they would have this fixed. And Kanye West just got his Twitter account frozen the other day. So, <laughs> so what are you I saying? We're, we're, we're in questionable company or... <laughs> 
Well, I mean, a little bit of both. I mean, uh, apparently <laughs> both of us are getting frozen out, so maybe there maybe there is more equality between me and Kanye. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but either way, uh, follow us on Facebook or Instagram. And uh, now it is time for me to hand over this little traveling medicine show of idiocy over to the lesser, uh, idi- uh, the mm-hmm. least idiotic of the two idiots on this show and one who can actually speak English. Uh, but not before I ask the second it's a first one dude it's getting laid here I'm telling you right now my stomach is grumbling my meal schedule is all thrown off oh I I ate a piece of lasagna for lunch that was about as big as my head and so now I wasn't hungry up until like the past 25 minutes in the past 25 minutes my stomach is just feed me Oh, it's wretched right now. But I'm going to hand this over to Tim, but not before I ask the second most important question ever uttered by humankind. The first, of course, being what is hip? The second being what the hell did we learn this week besides my lasagna eating habits? Uh, we have learned the following, my friend. All right. <sighs> we have learned thou shalt not cross Neil deGrasse Tyson in any sort of physics realm because he will layeth the smacketh down he will drop the people's elbow he will rock bottom you as he mm-hmm. has top gun to tom cruise and ultimately xenu himself mm-hmm. with that bogus ejection at 10.5 mock how dareth thee uh we have also learned uh, Uncle Todd has some strong feelings about Picard season three, and apparently I, the I over/under do. is being set at two episodes. So. <laughs> yep. <laughs> no now more. accepting bets. No less. <laughs> there are four episodes. No, two, two. That's all you get, in Patrick. <laughs> two. Oh my gosh. Uh, we have also learned. Uh, well. We're, we're at about two hours and 45 minutes, maybe after this is edited down due to technical difficulty, two hours and maybe 35 minutes. I don't know, but yeah, Ronald D. Moore brings out the best in the free-range idiocy uh, gentleman here. Uh, or the worst, depending on if you're looking for a timely podcast. Sweet Moses. But this show uh, is, is definitely good. Check it out. Uh, you will not be disappointed if you've listened all the way through. We have literally spoiled everything for you, so sorry about that. But if you are listening after watching uh, at our behest, uh, well done and uh, well disciplined. Uh, and finally, as we mm. like to close things out, mm-hmm. be safe, mm. be healthy, be mm. kind, mm-hmm. be good to one another. Uh, and, you know, if for no other reason than, uh, you know, we, we just like to be environmentally sound and thoughtful. Heck, the man they call Tim owns an electric scooter. Oh, Would you please hit the lights on the way out? It's like I took the wrong week to quit drinking. I beg your pardon, what did you say? That idea is just the worst. Damn! You're such a disappointing pair. I prayed so hard for you. Get out. And don't come back until you've redeemed yourselves. Hello, what have we here? Ooh, that's a bingo. Is that the way you say it? That's a bingo. You just said bingo. Bingo! How fun!
fun. <laughs> This is a matter of inconvenient timing, that's all. Police action was inevitable. Um, it have been necessary, so let them fumble about outside and stay calm. This is simply the beginning. You know what I'm really disappointed about? What are you disappointed about? I have not gotten a call back from Warner Brothers about my idea about Chucky Batman. I mean, that is, that is gold. You were sitting on it, a gold mine, sir. I know. I know. I don't understand it. <sighs> tells tells me the uh, the powers that be there. Uh, that ten year plan. It's probably even even more vaporware than the uh, monorail from from the Simpsons. So, well, no, I, didn't they actually build the monorail? Oh, they did. I think it summarily crashed, but you know. Well, but at least they built it. That's true. Ain't nobody calling me about about Chucky Batman. You know, I'm going to reach out. I'm going to reach right out to Ben Affleck. I've got to. Patrick, we we got. Oh, whoops. You got Affleck's phone number around here, right? No, no, it's not going to be in the. It's not going to be in the. How did you even get a phone book? Do they even make those anymore? Let me see that. That's from 1989. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Go use it to prop up your scooter. I think Ben Affleck was living in Southeast all at that point. I can only take so much more of this. <laughs> you know, you bring up the the Chucky Batman, though. I have this vision of of, of an Affleck lookalike wearing like a bedsheet around his neck. You know, some sort of cockamamie, you know, half Batman looking, you know, mask on. Just running around, just pointing at people saying, yes, suspect. <laughs> Works for me. I don't, I uh, no, weapon. I want, I want, I want full on Affleck. All right, all right. I'll see what I can do. Price has to be right, probably though. You know, retainer, retainer. Now get the hell out of here! 